everyone, and welcome to episode 254 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Beauty Beats Lime, an interview with Danny Tiger. My name is Margot Gunning. And I'm Matt Sabatello. We interviewed Danny Tiger, who is absolutely beautiful on the inside and out. She has a very interesting journey with chronic illness, with autoimmune issues, and also really being given God-given insights, as well as leading with her intuition. It was very evident that she's beautiful on the outside, but that matches the inside just as much. She's highly, highly intelligent and has one of the most beautiful mindsets that I personally have ever seen. And I think Matt can agree. Danny also pointed out a really great comment about searching for former podcast guests on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. So if you want to find someone local in your area or related to a specific topic that you're interested in, visit tickbootcamp.com slash search. We hope that you gain as much knowledge as well as positivity, hopefulness, and enthusiasm for furthering your healing adventure. And without further ado, here is Danny. Hi, Danny. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And I just want to first start off by saying what a light you are to the community, the amount of value that you're going to add by doing this podcast. So first of all, I want to start with just a little bit of background on you. Um, and where you live, what you do, and where you grew up, and just kind of the, the basics of Danny. All righty. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I am extremely honored, and I have gained so much just from being a listener of the podcast. So I'm super excited. I can't believe I'm on the podcast, and I'm very excited to share my story. Um, so yeah, initially, so I'm born and raised Cali girl. So I've been in Southern California my whole life. <laughs> so I was born in Long Beach. Um, and then we, you know, moved around a little bit in Southern California. So, um, when I was about five, um, you know, LA riots were going on and things like that. Um, so my mother was like, all right, we're out of here. So we actually moved to the high desert. I moved to Victorville and I grew up there, um, for a short amount of time. Um, and during that time, um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and it was just a lot of crazy things. Um, and you know, unfortunately, sadly, my family kind of fell apart during that time. And so, um, when I was about 12, myself, my mother and my younger brother, we moved to a place called Rancho Cucamonga and that's where I grew up. <laughs> so those were my, you know, middle school, high school years. And then, you know, graduated high school when I was 17. And then from then on, really, um, I was just, I kind of did my own thing and, um, very short story here, like wrapping it in a nutshell, but I got into the hair and makeup industry, um, while I was in college and, um, it did graduate with like my associates and just like a, you know, community college. And, um, but yeah, I definitely found my passion in the beauty industry. And so I started in freelance, um, hair and makeup, um, specifically makeup and then kind of moved into hair. And I've just been bountifully blessed in that industry. I mean, just beyond words. So my story there, I feel like it was like, you know, four lives into one, just those, you know, that matter of maybe like a 10 year uh, time span, it was just incredible. All the different opportunities I had and the things I did. So I didn't move, um, you know, into greater Los Angeles area. Um, I lived in Pasadena for a time and, um, currently I live in Beverly Hills. And so that's where I'm at now and still in the beauty industry, but given all my health, um, you know, I don't like to call them issues, but I mean, I don't know what about, I don't know a better word for it. Um, you know, within the, in the past few years, things have definitely taken 
a turn. Um, and so just kind of where I'm at now is recalibrating and kind of figuring out, okay, well, what am I doing now? <laughs> so that's kind of my whole life story in like two minutes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Simple to the point. I'd love to backtrack to college. So you studied obviously beauty, the whole beauty industry back then. Was that just kind of an initial passion that had stemmed from growing up? Yeah. So the answer to your question is no, (laughs) but it's, it's, I say that with a laugh because, um, I never had, you know, I just never had that dream in mind ever as a kid. I mean, when I was really little, I wanted to be like a teacher or I'm sure we all wanted to work with dolphins somehow. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to work with animals. And then, um, as you grow, but even my very first, like, even I asked my mom, I'm like, what did I want to be when I was little? And she said that I wanted to be a teacher. And, um, but as I grew, um, it was actually in high school in my junior year of high school, I, had this passion to be like a peer counselor. I just thought that was really cool because I was not into sports at all. Even in PE, I broke my fingers. I'm like, I just, it was sports is not a thing for me at all. Not called to be athletic. Um, but I loved people. And it was really strange because I, you know, I mean, you struggle as a teenager growing up and finding your way. And I had my group of friends, but I seem to just kind of have these interesting connections with all these different types of people like in my high school and they would like really open up to me about things. And I was just like, I'm going to try this peer counseling thing. It seems like it would be a cool thing for me to do like a, you know, not an elective, but just like, you know, I just wanted to see what it was about. But before you're allowed to be a peer counselor, you have to go through a year of pre-counselor, peer counselor, pre-training. And in that class, to this day, I think that that peer counseling training class should be implemented in education throughout the world, but definitely, you know, America, um, because you have to learn, um, you know, emotional maturity and you have to learn about being self-aware and introspective and being able to, you know, communicate about your emotions and what you're going through and processing things and pains. And I mean, it's just incredible. And I, like I said, I was so blessed. I had an amazing teacher and I mean, she felt like a second mom at the time. So I think developing that so early on, it really put me towards a path of being really compassionate about people and having an absolute fascination with human behavior. (laughs) So I did go to college thinking that I wanted to do psychology because I just was fascinated. I mean, even like watching hoarders on TV or survivor or just these like weird, interesting shows where I'm like, people are so interesting. (laughs) People are weird. (laughs) There's so many different types of people and what makes people tick. And, um, (laughs) you know, just really, yeah, literally. So, um, but at the time I, I couldn't find my fit. So when I first started in psychology, it was so clinical. And I coming from that, like peer counseling kind of a place, and I'm an extremely empathetic person. Um, it just was not a good fit. Cause I was like, this is so clinical and you have to completely detach. And I had a really difficult time with that. So I just was taking classes and classes and classes. And I switched my major to human communications. Um, and then I just remember one day I was just having a conversation with a friend and he's like, what are you doing? Because at that time, you know, I was in my very early 20 well no wait at that time I was probably more like 18 um and I was I've always been a little bit more mature for my age um just because my friend group has always been older started kindergarten when I was four and graduated when I was 17 and 
Um, so yeah, so I would go out and party all night. And then, um, back then you could get like, you know, an hour of rest and you'd be fantastic. <laughs> so I would do that. And I remember we would all be partying and I'd be like, okay, guys, like I gotta go. I got school tomorrow. And he was just like, what is your deal? Like you, you're in school like all the time. And I'm like, I just don't know what I want to do. I know I want to help people, but I can't figure out like, what's the avenue to get there. So long, long, long story short, but we just had a conversation and he, just a lot of back and forth. And he kind of pulled it out of me and he was a hairdresser at the time. And he's like, okay, so you like, you know, doing makeup and you like doing on your friends or your friend's hair. Like, have you ever considered doing, you know, having that as a career? And at the time I'm like, that's not a real job. You know, <laughs> he's like, really? Cause that's my job. <laughs> and so, um, anyways, he became a mentor and they actually had a makeup class, um, like a theatrical makeup class at my college. And so going into that class, my instructor um, really took me under her wing and mentored me. And I was basically like her apprentice. And the second I squirted fake blood on a special effects car scene, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I can't believe this is a real job. This is so cool. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, this is awesome. Um, and so, you know, back then those were the MySpace days. <laughs> I'm aging yeah. myself <laughs> Yes, um, yes. So I just kind of dubbed myself a makeup artist. And like I said, God has had his hand in it the whole time. So a lot of amazing opportunities came my way and it was such an organic fit. But, you know, earlier when I said it, you know, I laugh at the thought of me never dreaming to do hair. It's quite ironic because I'm actually a fourth generation hairdresser. So my great grandfather was a barber and to this day, he still has his pompadour and like, you know, that that's his thing. And, you know, my grandmothers, one went to cosmetology school, one did inc incredible, you know, updos in like the sixties and stuff with her girlfriends. And she's always styled hair. Even my uncle went to cosmetology school for a time. My mom worked at a makeup counter and I never had those conversations and I never considered it, but it's just hindsight looking back. I'm like, okay, it's in my blood. So that makes sense. <laughs> But I'm the only one in my family that's pursued it and, you know, um, just been blessed to be really successful with, with that journey. So, um, yeah. And I think it's just that element of making connections with people. And when people come to see me for their hair, um, you know, just that vulnerability that exists there and just building on those relationships and having the opportunity to build someone up, you know, physically, but also just with the kind of communications that we have and stuff. Um, so it's all gone hand in hand. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm absolutely living my dream. I just didn't know it was my dream at the time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I just, God has a, such a funny way of doing, of doing things sometimes. Um, oh, yeah. so interesting looking back when you say that the whole counseling experience, um, it, it almost sounds like that, that was kind of a priming for the teaching that then you would be doing, um, that you didn't quite realize because at the end of the day, the beauty industry and what you're doing is a mix of therapy, a form of counseling. I mean, listening to people's oh, yeah. <laughs> problems all day. Hair and, therapists, that's what they call it. <laughs> literally. And then also a form of teaching because I mean, what you do is really, really highly educational. Yeah. And yeah. actually later on in my journey, I don't want to get too much into that, but um, I did become an educator for a major hair brand and, you know, moving from there into more of platform artistry at hair shows, on stage, doing hair, um, educating about tools and um, then becoming sort of like a mentor myself to other, you know, up and coming students or other people. Um, and then, you know, you sort of gravitate towards those people that are 
you know, a little bit more like determined or ambitious and want to, you know, give back when you kind of get to that point in your career. Um, and then what eventually led me to be more of like a beauty industry executive um, and being what we would consider like an artist manager. So me having a background of being a professional hair and makeup artist within the freelance setting, meaning the entertainment industry. So film, set work, TV. Um, I worked at CNN um, as a hair and makeup artist for many years. Um, so just having that that um, you know experience in that realm of things, and then also working behind the chair as well, and um, you know having those one-on-one -on -one connections with clients and things like that. Um, having all of that experience combined and then working with people like my significant other who is you know he works for l'oreal and this huge global brand um and it's where those two worlds collide of being an artist and then having to have you know a functioning business mentality <laughs> those things going hand in hand um they're somewhat difficult so when i when i actually first started getting sick um at that time obviously i had no idea what was going on i just knew my normal life of you know, I always used to say my calendar, when I looked at my planner, if you look at last month, every single day is filled. If you look at this month, it's sporadically filled. If you look at next month, there's nothing, maybe one thing. And that's the life that I was living as a freelance artist. And I loved it. It was so, I mean, it was just a perfect fit for me, but then becoming sick, that did not very work out very well. <laughs> it was really difficult to have that unpredictability of my schedule you know, coupled with the unpredictability of my symptoms. So I transitioned into being um, an artist manager where I would help, you know, my significant other and his partner um, managing their touring schedules or, you know, their podcasting schedules or whatever they had going on client schedules. Um, so I could just kind of use the knowledge that I had and apply it in a completely different manner that worked worked for the time. So yeah, my story is a little bit um, all over the place. I needed to draw you a map. <laughs> because it's, it's, a, it's a crazy uh, ride, but um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how things have intertwined in terms of my dreams and my goals that I initially had. And then where, you know, being sick kind of, you know, found its way into my life and how I've try attempted to manage that um, when it came to my career, basically. Yes. And it's really interesting to hear about, and I'm so sorry for your mom's cancer diagnosis. And we hear a lot, especially in this community, I feel like of parents that were unwell as their kids, as they were having children growing up. Um, and there's, I think a lot of trauma studies kind of being done with that, but I think it's just really interesting, the, the correlation, and then all of this kind of priming and teaching for now what you're experiencing, because I don't think without any of the mindset work that you had previously, that you would be able to conquer this, this illness. Um, I really don't, because I think this, this illness is so much in the beginning, a, a lot of times, especially with chronic, especially once Lyme has gone chronic, it is that, you know, survival kind of mentality, mm -hmm. but then it starts to kick into the, the aspect of, okay, I need to heal myself. And a lot of this has to do with mindset. So I think your mm -hmm. mindset is absolutely beautiful and only will aid and help in, in further your healing. Um, as far as let's dive into a little bit of when you were, when you, when you first got sick, um, timeline wise, when do you think that was, and then kind of what were your first, were your, your first symptoms to, to pop up to make you go, okay, something is not right here. And I probably need to slow down my calendar. 
Oh boy, where do we begin? (laughs) Well, I was born and I was sick. No, I'm just kidding. But I do think to some degree, I actually just saw um, some, you know, social media is such a, it's, it can be, you know, a little, a little bit of a bee in the bonnet at times. <laughs> it can be a little bit of a problem, but for the most part, if you know how to use it as a tool, I think, which is something that I've learned over probably the past couple of years, um, it's just, it's incredibly helpful. It's an incredibly helpful tool, you know, just like YouTube or Instagram reels or all these different things where you can find these amazing resources. So this, um, somebody on my Instagram DM'd me and sent me a video. Hey, I know you have Lyme and I came across this. I don't know if you I just thought of you and here's this video. And it was this, um, amazing person. I think he called himself a biohacker. Um, and he was talking about looking at, you know, your health situation, whatever that is for you, um, sort of all encompassing. And that's the approach that I've always had. And so there have been times where I have told my story or try to talk to my doctors, which really is my therapist is the only one who kind of listens a little bit. (laughs) And I have said, you know, throughout my, um, you know, understanding of what's going on inside of me, um, I think it does date back to the fact that I couldn't breastfeed as a child. (laughs) And I don't, you know, you don't want to be so like, oh, it's just since since I was born and that, you know, this, it was a windy day and now I have struggles. It's not, I'm not trying to, you know, take it to that in depth, but because I've done so much work on myself mentally, and then also net, you know, more so now in the, you know, this um, present time, um, working on the physiological things that are going on. Um, but I think that's had a huge effect because I can say in answer to your question, um, it was probably about seven or eight years ago. So probably when I was around 28-ish or so, 27, 28, um, I, you know, I have, I have suffered from, with anxiety since my mom got, you know, diagnosed with cancer because we've always been so close. And when that happened, um, you know, I was probably eight or nine and um, it was very, like I said, I've always been a very empathetic person, like an empath. And I just, I can, I can make those connections, you know? And it's like, and I don't know, I mean, I've been a woman of faith since I was five. (laughs) So maybe it's a little bit of Holy spirit working in there and stuff, but just having this incredible intuition. Um, and so I even remember when my mom got sick the day that she, like, if you want to say fell ill, really, um, we used to walk to school and, I just knew something was wrong. I just knew something was wrong. And I was, you know, but you're only eight years old or seven or however old. So I was, couldn't figure out exactly what, but I had anxiety then. Cause I did not want to go to school. And I'm like, please mom, like, I just want to take care of you. And she was thinking, no, you've got to go because something's going to be, something's about to go down and I don't want to scare you. Um, so she pretty much pushed, you know, me and my sister out the door and I got a phone call later that day. Um, it was in fourth grade and, you know, they pull you out of school and mom's in the hospital and it took a long time for her to even get diagnosed. She had a a tumor in her esophagus that grew into her stomach, which is an extremely rare cancer, especially for women. Um, but yeah, so it, it almost seems like it was just a flash of the morning I woke up, something was wrong with my mom and you fast forward to, you know, sitting on the couch and like, okay, mom's going to die. So when that happens, da, 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 ABCD. And I was like, what, you know, and being shuffled around different families and not knowing what's going on. And so it was this extremely traumatic experience. 
And, you know, I mean, in the nineties, you didn't talk about gut health or anxiety or therapy, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So I was just, um, you know, sadly enough, um, I I guess I, I was probably 10, 11, um, I would hide in the bathrooms of my school for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours because the gut dysfunction was already starting. (laughs) And, um, I had horrific anxiety and I had no idea what it was and I had no idea how to deal with it. And it was that separation anxiety from my mom. Um, so I've always dealt with that anxiety and coupled with, um, uh, years of antibiotic abuse from something that happened to me, um, an extremely traumatic experience when I was a very little girl, when I was like four. Um, so since then on, um, I had these infections and I had to take this, well, doxycycline, which is an antibiotic. And again, in the nineties, there was no information about, Hey, you shouldn't take antibiotics every single day. Like it's not good for you. So years and years and years and years of being on these antibiotics until my twenties, And, um, you know, so I know it's, it's sort of a lot, but I think it's important to touch on these things because, you know, I'm going somewhere with this is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) So, um, another part of me is that I'm an extreme perfectionist, you know, and that has to do with rejection from my dad when I was little or things like that. So going back to that all encompassing, like, you know, where, where, how did, how did your journey start? Where did you start in life? Were you here? Were you there? Did you have, you know, come from a broken family? Did you not all these things matter? So the fact that I was such a perfectionist constantly trying to achieve acceptance and things like that, um, perfect straight A student, you know, all these things, but I love to drink alcohol in high school because it was a great escape. It was like, wow, I can be this perfect person every single day of my life. But then when I drink this alcohol, I can just chill the heck out and relax. Cause I had the separate separation anxiety. I had that perfectionism, all these things, you know? And so, so all these things were wearing down on my body as I was maturing, as I was developing, which brings me to the answer to your question. <laughs> um, so I would say, yeah, when I was about 27 or 28, I just remember being in my apartment. I lived alone at the time in, you know, here in LA and Beverly Hills. And I was living this like double life where I would be this, you know, going, doing hair and makeup for the Emmys and red carpet events. And then my life was amazing. And I, at that time I was taking such great care of myself mentally, spiritually, you know, physically, I would run to the gym every day, work out. I was eating really healthy. I'd spend time in my devotional. I had prayer and meditation and all these things. I was really like putting myself first and trying to do well. Um, and then also my career was going amazingly well. But there would just be these times where I had this crippling anxiety coupled with this horrible gut dysfunction, which at the time, I mean, I just didn't know what was going on. I'm like, oh, I'm stressed out or whatever. Anxiety. Everybody talked about anxiety. (laughs) And I just remember one night I went out with a friend. This is when I was like 27, 28. And, you know, because I was single at the time and this was a good friend. We went out and he was coming to pick me up. And I'm just going to be extremely transparent here. Um, I took some Xanax or, you know, something to that effect. I don't even know if it was Xanax at the time. It was something that I had had or had found or whatever. And I like took one and then I'm like, that's not enough. Cause I just had this anxiety and all I was going to do was just go out, have some drinks, have some fun. Um, and just the thought of getting into a car and not having control of the steering wheel was, I was just out of my mind. I was freaking out. 
And so I was having a beer and having my pill and it was just so normalized, you know? And I just remember every stop, we went to like a couple of different bars or whatever. There's amazing places out here in LA or there used to be before the pandemic. Um, but these like speakeasy places. And so we just kind of were hanging out and every place we stopped at, I'm in the bathroom. And I'm like, am I going to be sick? Am I sick to my stomach? I feel like I have to pee. Oh my God, I'm going to be sick. It was just a stupid thing. And I'm like, this is really out of control. And then the next morning I am sick to my stomach in the bathroom. And so I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I am so done with this taking pills and drinking to, to medicate myself because of my stomach pains and having to go to the bathroom all the time. And, you know, it's just this loss of control. And that's when I found out about probiotics. <laughs> So that was, you know, maybe seven or eight years ago that I found out about probiotics. I had no idea. My sister was the first one to introduce me to healthy, a healthy lifestyle. I hadn't, we'd had never heard about taking care of yourself by nutrition, like nutritionally what you're putting into your body. Um, so that was sort of kind of where the ball got rolling, where I was like, okay, I have these crazy, I didn't consider them symptoms at the time, but these crazy things going on. And that was the very beginning of like listening to podcasts or doing some research because that type of information, how to actually take care of yourself, you're not going to get that from anywhere. You're not going to get it from school. You're not going to get it from your doctor unless you have a friend or somebody who's a referral, like, Hey, have you heard of this thing? And at the time it was, you know, the Joe Rogan podcast. I know that's controversial, but, um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick. I, that was the first time listening to a podcast for like five hours where I'm like rewinding and listening. And it's just so uh, like my, you know, mind explosion, just like brain blow up, like, oh, this is amazing. But then it went to the extreme of like, I am going to be plant-based. I'll never eat meat again. Greens all the way. And of course that didn't, I didn't change anything. <laughs> I didn't change any habits then. I still remained very sick and continue to get more sick. But at the time I at least started making the connection of, symptoms, health, you know, my, how is my body functioning? Where are my emotions at? Like what's going on? So I think that's when the ball started kind of unraveling a little bit, um, where I started to just think of things differently. Wow. I know. I'm sorry. I feel like this. I'm talking so no, much. This was, <laughs> this was so, so, so great. And there are so many little pieces of information that I feel like, especially all Lyme community, but I know women and the empath and the perfectionism is so interwoven. So I'm so glad a, that you, you spoke about that and then B the Rhonda Patrick. And of course the, um, infamous Joe Rogan controversy <laughs> lately, but Dr. Rhonda Patrick is one of the most beautiful, educated doctors. Um, that is just, I really feel like doing, doing the work, you know, yes. and yes, this is how it is. Take it or leave it. Yes. I'm a doctor. This is what I find. You do you. And I do, I feel like that personally about, um, about the, the controversial podcaster himself too. But I feel like, you know, you pick the information to, to listen to, to absorb, et cetera. And whatever, whatever information, you know, you happen to pick up, I believe is what you need at that time. Absolutely. And I think Dr. Rhonda Patrick is one of the beauties um, of, of showing kind of the, the real deal of a nutrition and B 
overall all health and how how it all feeds together and i think she talks too a lot about and i talk a lot about this on my platform as well as the the dogmatic approach of you know you were saying the greens 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 and i'm I'm vegan for a minute you know and then you realize you know you go get blood work and you're like wait a second uh uh-oh what's happening yes and then kind of reintegrating and realizing wait okay maybe this isn't so black and white and i know they're doing a lot of studies right now which i find really fascinating on black and white thinking versus mm-hmm. nervous system regulation and i yes. think that so often with this disease our nervous system is so dysregulated yes. that that kind of black and white you know dogmatic thinking is so easy to go down of like let me go vegan and especially when we're in that that you know, I don't like to call it desperation, desperation mode, but you know, that's kind of what it is. We're just trying to survive that we're like, okay, that, that sounds wonderful. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry. (laughs) I think that's kind of why I feel, I feel embarrassed that I'm trying to touch on all these things of childhood and this and that, and growing up and teenage and young adult and young twenties and alcohol and breast milk and all these crazy things. But I know a lot, even when you guys discuss Lyme, it's just so personal. Everybody's Lyme journey is so personal. And I, it's based on, you know, where you're starting in life, where you're coming from and in and, and your story. And I think that's probably why you initially asked me like, Oh, a little bit of your background and I think I, I took it a little too far, but <laughs> that's, that's sort of the reason is because, um, whether you're looking solely at, you know, Lyme, or if you're looking at just like your, your health in general, I mean, all those things are so impactful, mental, emotional, physical, all of those things. Um, and so that leads you to your path of healing. It's always going to be different. And I'm, I'm really grateful because I, you know, for whatever reason, um, and again, maybe it goes back to their peer peer counseling class in, in high school, but, um, having, you know, the intuition, but also, um, I don't really know what the word for it would be, but just having a little bit of confidence in listening to my inner voice and, um, following that, that guide, you know what I mean? The little Jiminy cricket. That's like, "Mm, you might think that that's good, but for some reason, I don't think that's for you. It's good to have that knowledge. It's good to reference that thing, but maybe not try that. And, um, that's really been the biggest thing that's helped me throughout this, because like you said, it's just not, it's not one size fits all. Nobody's health is one size fits all. And definitely with Lyme, it's not that way. So yeah, the dogmatic approach, um, to healing, I almost take offense to that a little bit to some degree on, you know, social media and stuff. And it's like self-care, self-care this and self-care is very important. Don't get me wrong. Self-care is very important (laughs) or the same thing. Like you're saying the dogmatic sense of dieting or all these different things. And that's what, one of the things I loved about Dr. Rhonda Patrick is because when she initially, you know, I don't, I don't know that much about her because it's been a few years. I I can't even remember. Um, but her, uh, I, I believe she, her initial study was the aging effects, um, on DNA something to something to that degree yes, and along yes, the to autophagy spot right on. and so along the way she her mind was sort of open to the effects of nutrition and exercise on the body and how massively that impacts what's going on and so for me to start there to come full circle before we were talking on the podcast I was actually listening to the two alpha gals and, and even Margo, what you posted, um, last night on Instagram, something about histamines and stuff, it's like, wow, it's just worth, it's so personal. Our journeys with health and how our bodies function on every level is so personal. And you have to know yourself that personally to be able to help yourself. And so you definitely can't take a, 
generalized approach to any of it. So that's why I think telling these little details are super important, even though it's long-winded and it's probably boring, (laughs) but it's still important. (laughs) I think it's so, so, so important. And I'm so glad that you're sharing all of this because all of these add up and a, a good portion of why I really enjoy, enjoy Rhonda Patrick, Dr. Rhonda Patrick as well is, is that, that same kind of mentality. And I feel like it's very raw. raw. It's very, you know, if, if you follow her, she'll do these little Instagram clips from after her run on the beach and say, you know, that here, here's the clinical benefit of, of my, my beach run, you know, and it's not yeah. just who I ran on the beach for fun. It's, you know, mm-hmm. here, here's all the benefits of the beach. Here's, here's all the my shoes. The here's sand. the sand. Here's my sweat. And I'm the type of person too. It's like, I need the details because I need that for motivation. If I can comprehend it better, then I'll be more motivated to actually make the changes. And when I'm, when I'm just making decisions in life, when you have that little voice the you know, the devil and the angel on the shoulder, that's like, Oh, it's okay. Just eat the bread. And the other angels, like, you know what that'll do to you. <laughs> And so I'm like, ah, you know, I need that angel. I need that voice of reason. That's like, no, remember why, remember exactly what happens and the way your body processes it and what it'll do. It's like, you have to use that as a motivator. And I think if you have that component missing, it's super hard to make changes and to make acceptance and to, you know, continue to fight is really what it is. Exactly that. It's very, very challenging to fight. And before I pass you on and just hear um, more about like your diagnosis journey and and all of that, I think that the amount of intuition versus and or discernment that you have is one of the most beautiful things I've probably seen. Um, Because I think the two are very hard to merge. And I see a lot of the, you know, I'm very, very intuitive. I'm very tapped in, but there's, there's a very, very serious, serious lack of discernment. And that, that's what gets people, you know, I don't like to say the word in trouble, but that's, that's what causes some danger. So the fact that you have this beautiful dynamic, and I wouldn't even say polarity, but just like real dynamic of diversity, um, discernment versus, you know, using your intuition, I think is beautiful and will only, only, only magnify, um, how much healthier physically you, you become. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your significant other, and maybe we can go into that as, as we go on. And I also really want to talk female to female about the whole, the whole you look great beauty industry, because I think that that's all I really need to say um, for you to understand the dynamic woman to woman, because especially with this disease, it's a very, you look beautiful and you look absolutely stunning. I mean, talk about hair goals, <laughs> but I know how your Thank insides, you, feel. you know, yes. I'm very like, I know how your insides feel. And so Um, I think if you can talk maybe a little bit about that before we get into your plan of treating and all of that, I'd love to just hear maybe before you've, you've gotten the thick of this, how that, that kind of panned out and how you were, you were probably feeling very physically and mentally not well, but I'm sure everyone in your life at the time was like, well, you look beautiful. You look great. What's wrong? Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, first of all, thank you. You're so kind. Oh my gosh. I wish I could give you a hug, but zoom. Darn it. Okay. Um, yes. So I definitely want to talk to you about my significant other. That's a huge thing because he's witnessed all of it. Um, 
And yes, having uh, an invisible illness within an industry that's all about looks. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's really, it's really very interesting because like I was just explaining to you guys that when I first, I mean, I first even got a, you know, twinkle in my eye of, oh, there might be something wrong with my health, or maybe I should start changing some things that are just my approach and the way I'm looking at things. Like I said, at that time, I I had actually just done a 28 day detox, um, like fit girls guide, Instagram, 28 day detox, girls, skinny girls. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. I just, I'm going to Vegas. I want to look amazing. Um, (laughs) and so, um, yeah, I was like, I was just, I mean, yeah, I was looking amazing. I was really, I was really being so strict with my nutrition and all these things. And so from the outside, yeah, if you look at me, it's like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, she's got it all together. Look at her job, all these things. But then I'm in my bathroom before my friend picks me up and I'm like taking pills and downing beers and like trying to get through it all. It was so bizarre. Um, now I do, I do think that, um, you know, so at that time I was having some physical issues, like, you know, the gut, the gut dysfunction stuff and the anxiety. Um, but right at that time, um, honestly, probably two weeks after I had had, I'm not even kidding you guys. I was on Facebook and I was like scrolling something on Facebook. There wasn't, you didn't really scroll on Facebook back then, but I was a little bit. (laughs) And, um, it was like probiotic America. And it was this cartoon of like the guy walking and his, his tummy's hurting, you know what I mean? And I'm like, Oh, that's me. And so I'm like watching this video. (laughs) And so I kind of started thinking about it, but then two weeks later, um, is when I, uh, our, my significant other and my, our paths crossed during that time is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And so, um, you know, like I said, God has had his hand in it this entire time. And so I was actually praying about it at the time. And I'm like, this is so funny. And now that I think about it, cause I was like sick, but not, but I'm like, you know, Hey God, I'm just having this prayer. And I'm like, I feel like things are really good. Like our relationship is good. You know, me and my heavenly father, our relationship is good and stuff. And you know, my career and all this stuff, everything's like, well, and I've, I've found this independence and I'm really, um, feeling confident, comfortable, strong, being on my own. I kind of feel like I found my way. I feel like I'm in a really good place mentally and all these things. And, um, just putting God as a priority in my life. And I'm like, everything's amazing. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. Like if you have someone for me, you know, like a soulmate, you know, somebody that you designed for me, just send them my way. I'm just saying, if you want to send them my way. (laughs) So I like had this conversation and I literally was jogging and my now significant other lived a mile on my street. He just up the street. So it was like my, my apartment, his salon, and then further down the street was his apartment. And so I was literally jogging and okay. So I, like I said, I live in LA. So when I say jogging, there's like streetlights and cars and cracked sidewalk. And like, it's not like I'm like running through a forest. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not appropriate, like jogging territory. And I love, I absolutely fell in love with running my sister. Um, she was living on the East coast and she took me out running on a lake, um, during the winter time. And I just was like, oh my God, running is the best thing that exists. I had no idea at the time. So I know Matt is a, is a big runner too. And, um, one thing that I really miss running. So at the time I could still run and, um, I, um, got hit by a car right outside of his salon. Oh no. <laughs> it's 
hilarious. Yeah, and when I say hit by a car, it's just normal hit by a car for LA. Wait, did you, LA. Say it was, you said it was hilarious that you were hit by a car then. I just want to <laughs> repeat what you just said. I know. Is and that terrible of me to be like classic LA? Exactly. Okay, she, she gets me. She gets it. So when I say hit by a car, I mean, you know, not to, I mean, that's a terrible thing. You know, if anyone's ever experienced that, I mean, my gosh, I, I can't imagine. I'm talking about LA hit by a car. So what I mean by that. <laughs> yeah, explain. I'm a New Yorker. I don't understand I this. only have one ear pod in. I'm running, you know, so that means I have one eye open, one eye on my running. It's all good. And I'm, you know, you have to be, you have to be a defensive runner in LA. So I'm running down the street, <laughs> the sidewalk, and I see, okay, I'm going to come to cross the street, but the light turns red and my walk, the little walk guy pops up. So I'm like, it's all good. I, I don't have to stop because I, you have to stop every block. So I'm like, I don't have to stop. I can keep running. I'm running, looking both ways, all good. But this car just comes flying out of nowhere, doesn't even consider like stopping and just, you know, makes a right turn. And so it wasn't a, you know, an, a car accident. I mean, he didn't run me over, but enough for, for us to have somewhat of a collision. And it just was not pretty. It was not pretty. And it was right outside of his salon. And I was, and again, an LA uh, car scene accident incident. I was more embarrassed for myself. Like, oh my gosh, how many people saw that right now? <laughs> Cause I went tumbling down the street. And so this lady it wasn't that bad, but you went tumbling down the street, right? That's what you're trying yeah. to tell us. Well, yeah, I tumbling down. It wasn't necessarily down the street, but I, I did fall down. And so I remember this lady, it was like a nanny pushing a stroller. And she just looked at me like, are you, are you okay? Cause you look okay. And like, what are you doing? And I was just like, I'm fine. And so I just try to keep running so that I wouldn't be embarrassing. And I'm just kind of looking around because I'm like in a daze and I look over and I see his salon and I'm like, oh my God, we're neighbors. And it just completely took my mind off of like the car accident scene. And I think I had like a, you know, a scuffed knee or whatever. So I'm like, and normally, normally if I'm working out period, it's not a pretty sight. And especially when I'm sweating and no makeup and skid me, I wouldn't be like, let me go talk to some friends. Like, it's just well, not. But Danny, know? before you, before you, before you go on here though, you were hit by a car, you tumbled down the road and now you're <laughs> moving on. So you saying that this car just went on its merry way and you just kept cool. on with your exercise. Like did nothing happened. There was no incident report. There was no, are you okay? Uh, you know, welcome to LA, Matt. Welcome to LA. <laughs> Matt, you need to come out to LA for a day or two. Yeah. I don't, incident report? No, no, absolutely not. That's no, he didn't even stop and turn around. It was, it was nothing. It was absolutely nothing. And the thing is, I, that's the thing too. I, I, I may be making this a little bit more extreme I, the way I'm explaining it. I'm sorry, but it, you know, it was, it was not, it, it was a bummer, but I was fine and um, embarrassed, but fine. And so when I saw Phil, um, you know, his name's Philip, I saw his salon. And so and again, I think that was kind of a God thing. Cause I just was like, let me go in there and say hi. So I walk into this salon. God, this has nothing to do with Lyme, but I'm just going to keep going with this story. Oh, wait, can so I, I just stop you for, I want to stop here again, daddy, because this, this plays a role in your healing journey. Your attitude towards this whole situation is just blowing my mind. <laughs> You're like, it wasn't a bad accident. I just tumbled down the road a little bit and we went on with our lives. And your attitude about all of this, oh, it's no big deal. It was God's plan for me to be hit by a car so I can meet my, <laughs> I can meet my now my partner and soulmate, right? It's like, what? Really? Yeah, so well, again, this, this attitude of yours allows you, I think now, you know, fast forward a little foreshadowing here to, to be successful in your healing journey. But please continue. I just wanted to point that out that you're, you have a really good 
attitude and viewpoint towards situations because I'd be like, I was just hit by a car. Take me to the hospital, right? And you're like, oh, let me go hit on this guy that over there. I think that's gonna be my future husband, right? I mean, yeah, like- first of all, <laughs> I didn't have plans to hit on him, but no, and but you know what's funny is that's kind of what that's where I'm going with this story too. When she's asking, Margo's asking about my significant other too, because you know, that's how we met is I, I walked in there and I just had this, you know, at the time unknowing, but I guess maybe a little confidence about me that I felt like, oh, let me just go in there and say hi. And it's all good. And it's this Beverly Hills salon on Doheny. And the receptionist is like, ew, what, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, hi, is Philip here? Like, I just didn't even, it didn't phase me. I just didn't, it, my perspective at the time was just so different. And him meeting me, that we, we had met at a hair show previously, but, um, you know, he just came around the corner and we're like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah. Like, oh, come on over. Let's chat. Like what happened to your knee? Like, so was, was, he as, was he as bothered as I am about your accident or was he a typical, you know, uh, L- LA or who just didn't think anything of it? I, mean, I, don't know. <laughs> I want to get some context here. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And that, it wasn't that like extreme and devastating. But I think I think just him. I mean, from day one, from him meeting me and seeing me, you know, full of endorphins and on this workout and just you know, no shame, like just kind of coming in and just very humble, (laughs) like, Hey, you know, and, and he was so, um, he was just so welcoming and so open and, Oh yeah, I have a break right now. You know, how many clients like come in the back patio and we'll hang out and talk. And I was like, cool. And at the time I just was like, Hey, um, Ignore the bleeding knee. This is good. Let's just go chat in the back. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Don't mind the blood. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad. Um, but we just had this conversation and at the time I was just looking for some guidance, um, as far as my career goes, you know, with like, you know, kind of like a mentor, I'm just like, you know, I respect you as a person. I respect you as an artist and you know, what I know of you and, um, you know, I'm feeling a little lost. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with my career because I'm doing so many things, you know, do you think I should hone in on one thing or, you know, do you have any advice? So we just had this conversation, but my point is that, um, Oh, and then cut to, we fell in love, but that's a different story. But anyway, we're going to get, get there. Cause I have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> yeah. My point is, um, you know, we, it took us a, a long time to actually like get together. And now, you know, today we've been together for five and a half, almost six years. And, um, I think that has been the hardest thing for him is <clears throat> knowing what a joyful person I am and what like, you know, very, you know, I wouldn't say I'm like lighthearted. I mean, I'm, you know, I can be a little intense at times. I mean, I am Spanish <laughs> partially, you know, and so I have my, my spice. Um, but I think it's, you know, just having that mentality and that perspective. And, um, for me, it's just hundred percent my faith. I, I have a tremendous, um, I would say a gift of faith. And so I just have a different perspective on things. So, um, yeah, even something silly like that, um, you know, not coming in with this like insecurity and what is it going to think of me and all these things and being negative about my knee or something like that. I just was thinking, oh my gosh, this is so, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. I really want to talk to this person. And this is a blessing for me. I just kind of look at things in that way. And then going through this journey of being sick, um, him just seeing a side of me, I don't think he ever imagined he would see ever can i stop you there because i, I want to get more into that but i just want to i want to well first make an observation and then zoom out for a second so the first observation that i want to make is that at this point your your attitude of i'm going to go in there 
And I don't care that you, you described yourself in a very negative light when you're exercising, right? You're like, I look horrible. And I'm, I highly doubt any yeah, of that is not true. A good look. But you if had I a self image. If I was out running and I saw a friend up ahead, I would dive in a bush before I would be like, hi. But, but, but for you, some reason that day, I just was like, I don't know that I believe that because <laughs> here's, your, here's your crush and you're going in to talk to your crush and you're bleeding from a car accident and you think you look horrible. And now you're speaking to him about business <laughs> advice and now he's your, he's your soulmate. So, I, you know, but I think a lot of those, those attributes, again, carry forward to you when you get sick, right? So we're seeing a lot of traits here that you had before getting sick that I think have resulted in you being successful in your healing journey. So I don't want to lose sight of that. But just to zoom out for a second here, big picture, right? How old are you? And his name is Philip, correct? You're uh, yes. okay. Mm -hmm. So how old are you when you first met Philip after being nearly run over by this vehicle? <laughs> okay, we okay. That's, that's I'm being dramatic, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, first of all, he was not my crush. I mean, he is so gorgeous that does not even describe him he is a piece of art he is a beautiful creature he not even really like i can't even compare him to something of this world he is just incredible and i, I think a lot of it has to do with his insides his heart but just physically when you look at him he's beautiful <laughs> so when i tell you i did not have a crush on him that's because the first time i saw him obviously my eyes went to hearts and i was just like oh my gosh what is this masterpiece? But immediately my brain was like, girl, you need to shut that down. That's not going to happen. And in my mind, I just thought he must be with some gorgeous, like European model or something <laughs> like this guy's beautiful. So that was the furthest thought from my mind. But I want to count you there because you made your move anyway. You went in well, well, and no, made my, your move. So well, did you initial, really believe well, he was unattainable? I did. I really did because his business partner at his business partner at the time is from my same, um, area, my same neighborhood from where I grew up. So when I was in navigating my way in the hair industry, I had reached out to that person at first, his name's chief bear. And we were, he was sort of mentoring me and we were talking, but he lives all the way in what's called Redlands, which is, I mean, an hour and a half, two hours from LA. And he's like, you know, my business partner is like your neighbor. He lives down the street from you. Like you, if you need stuff, you should just talk to him. And I was like, no, I don't, he just didn't seem approachable to me at the time. Um, at the time he was very reserved and just kind of, he looked like he, came, he was from sons of anarchy, like a little bit mean, a little bit scary. <laughs> I just, our personalities were so opposite. I just figured, I don't think that's going to be a good mix. But when I ran across his salon, I just thought, oh, this must be a God thing. Like this is just, this has to be meant to be that I can reach out to this person about hair stuff. And like I said, when I saw him, I was like, Ooh, but you know, I shut that down right away. Cause I'm like, you know, it just, it, it would never happen. I'm just, it's not what I'm here for. And so we really built a basis of a, of a genuine friendship. And I think the fact that I was not trying to impress him and any thought of being with him was completely out of my head. I was really just raw and honest and I, I wasn't trying to impress him at all. So we would talk about things that if you were trying to get someone like you, you probably wouldn't talk about those things <laughs> because. But those it, are know, the deepest relationships, right? Those are the truest, exactly. deepest relationships that you now formed with, with, with your partner, right? And so that's, just, yeah, that's what it turned into because of that foundation. We were kind of like, wait, does he like me? Do you like, does she like me? We did a back and forth, like, no, like we don't, do we like each other? And so it developed into something, I think, you know, obviously there's an attraction between us, but because that friendship was so, that bond was so strong in the beginning, um, laying out that foundation has been such a blessing. And that's why I say it was very divine from God, because I don't think I could have done that on my own if I tried, but the way that it developed, 
um, that's why we're together now. And I think that's been what has held us together, even going through a chronic illness. It's because we have such a strong bond in the beginning that we didn't, that wasn't affected by ro romance and all these other things. Let's get there in a little bit about how your relationship sustained your illness, right? So I think I'm just seeing all these interviewing over 250 people, we have all these patterns and traits that people have that, which lead to success in a Lyme journey. So your faith allowed you to have courage to go speak to your now soulmate, right? And your faith, I'm sure, drove a lot of your healing journey as well. So I feel like your faith played a really important role in your healing journey. And we're going to get to that. But just again, so I want to get, I want to zoom out and get a time context. Here. So how old were you when you first met Philip when you were hit by that car? So that was the interesting thing. Like I was talking to Margo about um, when I had come across that probiotic video and I was in a space where I was doing a 28 day detox, which is really just a clean way of eating and, and working out um, and, and healthy in, in multiple areas of my life, but still had some weird things going on. Um, and then I met Philip two weeks later. So at that point I was, yeah, I was 27 or 28. 27, 28. But you, so I also want to, so I just, Again, zooming out and look at the timeline here, you and Margo were talking about some things and I couldn't help but wonder, and obviously this is something that you probably have thought about, but we could probably never definitively approve. When you went through this trauma of your mom being told at eight years old that your mom's going to die and you developed this anxiety and then you had this all this this gut dysfunction and then you went on and you started leaning on on alcohol to be able to get some relief. Do you think that possibly you were harboring a tick-borne infection or Lyme disease prior to that? Because we do know that physical and emotional trauma will bring out dormant Lyme disease. And you were a young, healthy child, possibly, that then when you went through this emotional experience, allowed Lyme to become more active and make you sick. Do you think it's a possibility? Or do you think I'm off with my, my guess that you possibly were infected with Lyme much younger than 27, 28, when you started to get these you know revelations and, and developing symptoms? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think that, um, well, first of all, I think that probably when I started to develop things with Philip, I think I had a lot of endorphins. I mean, it was an incredible, extremely healthy and wonderful romance. Like not to say that we didn't, you know, go through things and he's, but he's a very mature person. So the way that things developed was extremely healthy. And, uh, you know, I, even having abandonment issues as a kid and stuff, it's like having someone who I can feel safe around and things like that. Um, I, that, that was huge. That was absolutely huge on my heart and my emotions and my mentality. And it even brought me to a place where I finally felt safe to actually do healing work, um, emotionally and, you know, with my heart basically. Um, so I do think that there was probably a spike in endorphins there amongst other things that really like, held off worsening symptoms. Meaning I think if I didn't meet Philip at that time and I just continued the way I was going, I probably would have gotten a lot sick, sicker, a lot faster. But to answer your question in terms of, um, having a tick-borne illness. Um, so I will say that I think, um, for me, I had been going down this path of a system breakdown, if you will, for many years, since day one, not being breastfed and all these things. Um, I was going down the wrong path always just with my health. Okay. So even in the nineties, I mean, we, we, unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of money, you know? Um, so my aunt was a lunch lady, so we would get free breakfast, um, you know, the low income free breakfast at school. And then we would eat lunch at school that was free. And then my aunt would bring us home more lunch food that we would eat for dinner because we couldn't afford much at that time. And so 
processed foods, all that stuff. I mean, when I look back at just the way that I treated my body from a child, you know, a baby infant (laughs) all through my childhood as a teenager, all those things, it was very destructive. Um, so whether it was not getting good nutrients when I was younger, antibiotic abuse into my teens, probably around, you know, 15 or 16 when I started drinking alcohol. Um, and then, you know, just Starbucks drinks and Taco Bells and whatever, all these horrible things that I'm putting into my body. Um, not until I was much older, um, and my pop was passing away and I had a nervous breakdown. Um, my brother-in-law flew me out to the East coast to go visit my sister. And at that time her, she, um, had an, if her newborn who, um, was lactose intolerant. So she was really strict about her health and she would make smoothies and she would cook things differently. And she would eat things, you know, just being really wise about what she put into her body because she was breastfeeding her daughter and didn't want to make her daughter sick. And at that time she had fallen in love with running. And so I think her seeing me mentally not being in a good place, she's like, okay, sister, like, you know, try these smoothies or come running with me because all these things are really going to help you know, with the effects that are going on, whatever, mentally or physically, anything that's going wrong. So all that to say, um, I think it's been a journey of destructing my body over many, many years. So that's always been a downhill decline. (laughs) Now I do know that when I was young, probably, um, maybe before the time that my mom was actually diagnosed with cancer, um, we, I was very, very close with my my Grammy and pop, my grandmother and my grandfather on my maternal side. Um, and they had ticks in their backyard. So they had ticks on their dogs. And that's the only thing that I can recall that. And I thought looking back, I always thought I had a tick in my ear, but then I'm like, I guess that doesn't make sense. Cause I remember seeing a tick in someone's ear and I think it might've been my younger brother. Um, but I know I probably had a tick and the dogs had ticks, not like, you know, they were infected or anything like that, but, you know, once in a while, um, she had, they had two boxers and they live in um, a place called La Mirada, California, whatever, basically, you know, Southern California, maybe an hour. I thought there weren't ticks in California, Danny. So I'm confused. Exactly. (laughs) Which is funny because I'm born and raised Kelly girl. And other than the time I spent with my sister, which was, um, in the winter time, Baltimore, Maryland, we were bundled up to where we couldn't even breathe. So I may have gotten a tick, but I highly, highly doubt it because I had so many layers on. I just, I can't even imagine, but I guess technically it's possible. Um, But I do remember ticks being around when I was younger at my Grammy and Pop's house. And I also remember one other time later in my life, um, in my very early twenties, going camping with a friend in like Big Bear area um, big bear Lake area. And, um, I got a horrific spider bite, um, on my butt, which was super awesome (laughs) because I just remember like I had a nice butt and now I have this horrible scar. (laughs) So I don't even remember the, the details of that story, but all that to say, I think that despite such a, you know, unhealthy lifestyle from birth, I've, you know, God's blessed me with immense strength mentally, emotionally, physically, so I think that that, you know, I never got any kind of initial reaction and I never had any symptoms from, you know, tick-borne illness until I would say probably later when other stress factors came in to where my body just got to the point where it was so broken down. And I will tell you shortly, um, I mean, you know, 
briefly that um, thyroid disease runs in my family. And when the Lyme, chronic Lyme, late stage chronic Lyme flared up in my life was when I was diagnosed with a thyroid. So at that point, my body was just so overrun with stress, anxiety, a lifetime of, you know, unhealthy, you know, just lifestyle in general, um, all these things. And when the thyroid hit, it just, that was it. It shut me down. It triggered the Lyme, late stage chronic Lyme. And I was just debilitated at that point. So looking back, yes, there were ticks around. Don't think it had an effect that much because I was already living an unhealthy lifestyle. But it didn't have an effect that much then. Right. But it possibly was the buildup effect long-term. And I know Margo Absolutely. is here to jump in. So I'm going to, I'm going to let Margo jump in here, but I do think that that's a, p- a part of your story, Danny, because you were around ticks, you were bit by ticks. You had an extremely unhealthy lifestyle that you're looking back, realizing contributed to your overall body decline. Yes. You have autoimmune predisposition in your family. You have a ton of emotional trauma with your mom and all kinds of stuff going on. You yes. have all kinds of medical trauma. You said you had tra- a traumatic experience in your four, all, all these things collectively, I think, resulted in your crash in your late 20s and around 30, right? So yes. I know Margo wants to talk more about ticks in California. And I'm dying to know because I keep reading all the time that ticks are not in California. So I just want to get some clarity on that, Margo. <laughs> it's so weird, right? I mean, all, all of these people just mean, must be undiagnosed, misdiagnosed. <laughs> Something's wrong, right? Yes. Um, I wanted to just jump in because I think that it's so interesting that you were born and raised here. I feel like you are one of the, the few, aside from myself. I moved away for a little bit, but it was the same thing. I, I have a really similar experience. And the amount of medical physicians, the amount of naturopathic physicians, the amount of even acupuncturist chiropractic that's like, you know, well, that that's an impossible thing to have out here, hun, you know, and it's very, oh, yeah. it's always like kind of, you know, the, the mushy gushy, I call it like the little Oreo sandwich where I'm like, well, we hear that you're sick, but we also know that there are no ticks in California. So you're good. Oh, no. <laughs> and I think that it's really, really common, especially out here because of, you know, the I wouldn't call it stigma, I guess, that there's only ticks back east. Um, but the the understanding, so to say, that there are ticks out here. But I wonder, too, were you bitten just out of curiosity? And I think that this will help listeners. Were you bitten by mosquitoes a lot out here? Because I know for me growing up, I was just kind of eaten alive by mosquitoes out here in Southern California. We don't live too far from one another. Um And I'm just curious, kind of your experience with mosquitoes and then a little bit of your experience with just kind of, if you've been told, well, ticks don't exist in in California, what what are you talking about when when you finally came across this Lyme diagnosis? Because the whole ticks in California obviously is a podcast alone, but I just want to dabble in that, especially because you're, you're born and raised, raised here. Yeah. That was kind of an important thing to me when you guys asked me to be on the podcast, because it's very unrelatable for me. Um, you know, obviously Lyme, you have massive uh, disassociation as a symptom. Um, you have it as just a part of the Lyme community. You feel so alone, which is so silly because we're on this podcast about Lyme. But, you know, we've all been there in those places where we felt that way. Um, and then even within that, like say even on this podcast, and I, I haven't, unfortunately haven't been able to listen to all of the episodes, but it's just extremely rare. It just seems like once someone starts telling their story, like, oh, I'm from this place on the East coast or this place on the East coast, or even, you know, middle America, I'm like, where are the Cali people? We're here. I know we're here. (laughs) And yeah, I've heard San Diego, but just yeah. In LA, 
I am born and raised like in LA, basically, like, you know what I mean? A long beach in this area. I mean, I have not gone far, um, living. And so it's just like, yes, it's here. And I think for me, because I was so close with my Grammy and pop and I spent so much time with them and my pop and I were extremely close too. um, he's passed now, but you know, I just remember like burning a tick or whatever with the match and the dog and just being young. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like it's crazy. And so to me, I'm like, yeah, there's ticks in California because the dogs had of like, are we, how is that not a thing? Um, I was like, okay, maybe they're not prevalent. We don't have, you know, I don't know. I guess when you think of West coast, you know, you don't think of the type of territory where, where ticks would, you know, flourish, but then you watch a commercial about California and they're like, you could be at the beach in the morning and then in the mountains at night. And it's like, obviously we have all different types of terrain here. So it's like, there's no, um, really exclusion to it. And for me, even doing more and more research, I mean, depending on what rabbit hole you go down, but it's like, idealistically, I guess, you know, Borrelia could be anywhere. It could be, you know, a rat that ate a tick or whatever. It's like, it could be anywhere. It could get transmitted in any different ways. And, you know, like I said, that's a whole rabbit hole to go down. But if you're speaking specifically about seeing a tick with your eyes in California, like, yes, they exist and they're here. It's just, it's crazy to think that that could not be a possibility. I mean, it's a small world as it is. So what makes you think that there wouldn't be ticks here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. All the California Lyme tick people, raise your hands. <laughs> it's like, I want to see where are my neighbors. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one, but it's definitely something that is not talked about at all. So I'm sensing an overwhelming message here from you, Danny, that we need to get more West Coast California people on this <laughs> podcast. So we will make an effort to do that. We've had, we've had a good amount, but a good amount, maybe a dozen or so in 250 so we need to do better in that yeah regard. So we will do that once you start listening into the story you you discover where people are from it's not like you know and and again like that people have moved you know like margo if, even if it's just for a short time or different things like that and so i mean it's just it's you just feel like it, you're so it's so hard to relate because like that what we we're talking about in the beginning of the podcast is even each lime journey is so unique And so it's still hard to relate. Like you're always constantly taking bits and pieces out of everyone's story, either the story of how they got sick or the story of their healing. You're always like taking out little bits and pieces. That's what this journey is. And so when you're always starting out and you never can relate to someone who's I'm 34 years old, I'm heavily tattooed. I'm like a quote unquote alternative person, you know, in the beauty industry in LA, like it's just, sometimes you don't you don't think of, of that necessarily. And so it's just nice to be able to like see someone that you can relate to in that regard a a little bit. So I really, really appreciate that. You know, you guys are having me on here. (laughs) And I really appreciate you talking about the beach, especially and ironically long beach. I lived there for a couple of years, but I, I really, really resonate with you talking about the beach because I think lately, lately now I'm seeing on more, more mass media kind of things of be careful of ticks at the beach. Right. Well, mm-hmm. This would have been helpful a very long time ago. That's really nice that you're airing this now, but <laughs> wake, wakey, wakey, you know, eggs yeah, and bacon. Like better late like, than never. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, very, very interesting. So, so let's fast forward a little bit. So you're 27, 28. I think you're right that the adrenaline and, and, the rush of good chemicals, you're starting to, you know, develop romantic feelings and this is really helping you sustain. No, but this is, this is reality. And I don't mean to be too academic about it. Right. But 
hormones the Cinderella play, music. <laughs> hormones play an important role in health. So I think you are really extending your health beyond what would have been normal if you weren't going through this experience, right? And you, you, you explained that very well earlier. So your, but your symptoms do continue to develop a little bit. And we know when you're 30, you start to get even worse. And by the time you're 31, you get developed, you get diagnosed with a thyroid condition. And that's when you realize, well, I have autoimmune problems in my family. I have a thyroid condition. Maybe this is why I've been sick. But in that, in that area, talk to us a little bit about your symptoms you developed when you were 30 leading up to your diagnosis at 31 with a thyroid condition. Yeah. And that's why I pointed out the things about Philip that I, because I do think it's relevant. I think it's important because um, I did have such a massive hormonal imbalance and just my whole endocrine system, um, my adrenals and things like that. Uh, my cortisol was through the roof at one point. And so I, I think that because I was running so much and I'm, I'm sort of an aggressive exerciser. I, unfortunately I have never been into like yoga and things like that. I'd rather like go to like a, you know, kickboxing class or something. <laughs> I'd rather like run really aggressively. You know, I run for, for, uh, you know, I try to run hardcore versus like length. And so it's just, it, yeah, it's just, which is hilarious because now I can barely like jump on my little trampoline. Um, but <laughs> like seven minutes and I'm like worn out. Um, I'm working my way up though, (laughs) but yeah, so it's just, um, it's just really, I think that had a huge effect because as my, my hormones were really sort of kind of going all over the place and just, you know, other adrenals and things like that, it had to have had an effect just having those endorphins and things like that, um, keeping them in check a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was basically a perfect storm. So I would say, yeah, you know, like a year after, um, Philip and I were together, um, not to make this all about Philip, but everything just kind of collided. So it's easy to reference time-wise because you do get lost in the time of it. Cause it feels like you've been battling forever. So I really have to really look at the timeline. Like how, how many years? So we're going to say one year post Philip, one year pre Philip. And that's how we're going to gauge his podcast. Okay, yeah. right? I like that. That's our, <laughs> our time parameter that, I'm sure. <laughs> Yes. So, um, yeah, things were amazing. And at that time, um, you know, I was an educator for a big beauty brand, um, a big tool brand. So I was, um, so I was traveling to all the hair shows. So there is this whole underground hair world that I'm sure you guys know nothing about, and it is so magical. (laughs) And so basically they have, um, in Florida, in Chicago, here in LA, um, all these different places, even in Mexico, they have these massive, massive hair shows where just tons of distributors and brands and artists, um, they just get together. It's almost like a family reunion (laughs) and you just have, um, this huge, you know, three or four day events. Um, so, I was a huge part of that. I was a huge part of that as an educator for that. I would do platform artistry. So that would mean I would leave LA on a plane and, you know, go somewhere that night we would be, you know, backstage planning stuff and prepping models and then, you know, drinking, of course, that's part of it. (laughs) And then, you know, not sleeping, getting up early, getting ready, getting on stage. I mean, this, the, the schedule is just absolutely insane. I remember one time me and Philip went to the same show but our schedules were so crazy. We did not see each other in the airports. We didn't see each other at the show, except for one moment where he was on one stage across the way and I was on one stage and we were like, hey, (laughs) we're staying at the same hotel. We're doing everything, but it's so crazy that we literally didn't even have a chance to like talk to each other or anything. And then another show where him and I were both, I don't wanna call it performing, but you know, we were working. And we actually did stay in the same, same hotel. This was years later. And 
I would go, I would get into the hotel room and fall asleep. And then he would come in way later. And then the morning I would wake up and leave to go to set. And then he would still be sleeping. So even though we were in the same hotel room, we did not talk to each other. and We did not see each other because our schedules were so crazy. And so at the time I was flourishing, I was doing really good. I mean, I loved it. I was so happy. I was living my dreams, um, with the person that I love. That was incredible. I remember at the time I was nominated for, uh, I had a five nominations for an award show that was like a worldwide show, um, for hair artistry that I had done. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, we were just, it was, it was amazing. We were thriving. So things were really good, (laughs) but like I said, the perfect storm. So even though that was incredible, it was incredibly stressful. And then again, not eating or eating really bad, drinking alcohol, not drinking enough water, not getting enough sleep, traveling. I mean, just a constant, it was just a very unhealthy lifestyle. And which is ironic, like what Margo was saying, speaking to the beauty industry, because again, you look amazing you're living the dream. What are you complaining about? (laughs) And so, um, a lot, I know Philip kind of struggles with this sometimes too, because it's like, you do have a lot of people that like look up to you and, Oh, I wish I could do that. And we're over here. Like, no, you don't like it's, you know, there's uh, incredible blessings to it, but the long-term effects on your health are just massive. And I know that happens with a lot of industries. I mean, a lot of people, you can be in finance and going through the same exact thing in terms of stress and just not taking care of yourself and not putting your health as a priority. And you kind of have this window where you want to take advantage of the success in your business, but to what degree, you know, are you going to sacrifice your health for that? So I think I really went full throttle with that. And I remember I was teaching at a cosmetology school in Texas and I was going straight from there to that hair award show. And, um, I just stopped eating because I felt so sick that I was like, well, I don't want to get sick. You know, I don't want to have the anxiety of getting sick when I'm traveling. So I just pretty much didn't eat. And I had, I probably dropped maybe 15, 20 pounds at that time. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was right after that when we came home and I just was not feeling good at all. And so, um, you know, what do you mean? Okay. but Danny, give us a little more detail. When you say you weren't feeling good at all, what were your symptoms? You know, so what was off? Was it physical, emotional, both? Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was both. It was both. Um, you know, and I try to, it's, it's hard to try to piece together the timeline, but I know at that point I'm like, okay, things are really bad. Like something is not right with me health wise. And I'm not really quite sure what it is because again, I was masking with alcohol because I don't know what's wrong which is giving me anxiety because all I do is think about what's wrong with me and I don't know. And so it's this, but Danny, were you seeing, so this, when did this start? Uh, when did this start when you were thinking something's wrong with me and I don't know what, so I'm going to drink to mask it. Like what, what age was this 30 when it started or was it earlier? Um, yeah, late twenties. Late 20, yeah, okay. early 30s, yeah. Did you ever go to the doctor or would you, were you just masking, masking without, with alcohol and saying, Absolutely. you know what, I'll get better. Absolutely. So that's, and that's what I mean is like, okay, something's not right. And I had that realization of like, wow, I'm really medicating heavily with alcohol because look, I got to get on this plane. I can't, I have to get on this bus with all these hair artists. I can't not get on it. You know what I mean? I I don't have another option, but my stomach is like, run, run to the bathroom, run. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't run. I have to get on this bus. And when I run to the bathroom and sit on the toilet, nothing's happening anyways. 
it's like, it's just this stress factor. Like I said, my cortisol was through the roof. And so I think I'm going crazy in my mind because I'm like, I'm not eating. I still feel sick. I have this massive anxiety and I'm it's, it's so I'm being pulled two different, different directions, like perform monkey, perform, go, 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 like put on your makeup and do the show and go, 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 go and live the dream. But, but then David, I'm you, like massively did, sick. Did you think that, so you said you thought you were crazy. Did you think that your emotional issues were causing your physical issues and therefore you didn't seek medical guidance or were you seeking medical guidance as well at this time? So that's what had happened. So, um, so right after that, that show in um, Texas and that travel, I was like, okay, something's wrong. I don't feel good, blah, blah, blah. So the next show, I was actually, um, I had, I was a recipient of a scholarship award and I was going to be, I was like a a guest speaker, like um, for this one event. And the person who was hosting is absolutely legendary. He's like the godfather of hair and he's standing there with the mic and he's talking, you know, he's going to talk to me. And I had so much nerves from the travel, from what I had to do, from all this stuff that I I had been drinking. Cause again, that's how I had been medicating. And, you know, I just missed it. I didn't, I wasn't drunk and acting like a fool. It's just, that's that event is when I realized, okay, you're really medicating with this alcohol. And that is not the way to deal with your issues. You have to deal with them because that's not going to work for you for very long. So that's what started the journey of, okay, wow, I'm really missing out on important things in my life because I'm using this unhealthy way of coping. So again, but it's like, you're, you're, it's, you're just going through life blindly. And even as introspective as I could be, or as like, okay, wow, I'm self-aware in this regard that this is not the choice. These are not the choices I want to be making. I don't want to be like using alcohol for this reason, blah, blah, blah. Cause again, even at that show, I'm just in the back drinking by myself. It's not like I'm at a party. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm just, I'm antisocial. No, I'm about to go speak in front of like hundreds of people with this godfather of hair. This is um, an incredible blessing, but yet because my stomach hurts and I can't get out of the bathroom and I have anxiety about it. I mean, it was just, a, it was so ridiculous. It's almost like the time when I was, you know, drinking and having pills before I went out with my friend, it was kind of like, oh, we're back to that now. And that's what I mean. When I met Philip, it kind of subdued that and whatever. But now I was back to this place where like, okay, I'm sick again. I have to deal with this. I can't stop, not deal with this. So my point, Matt, is um, when I came home from that, I was on a mission to figure out what's wrong and to get help. So every avenue possible, I started exploring. So of course I went to my um, primary care doctor in Beverly Hills and here, Margo, you're going to love this because she's like, Oh, you're so beautiful. You're good. You're healthy. Look at you. Look at you. You're a beautiful girl. Oh, what a beautiful girl. And I'm trying, I'm spilling my guts out and I'm like, something's wrong. Like something's really wrong. And I'm trying to tell her, Oh, that's okay. Oh, you're fine. Oh, I mean, just, it, that was just completely useless. Then I even started going to AA. Cause I'm like, maybe I do have a, you know, maybe I have a problem. Maybe I have a serious problem. You know what? I think I have, it does run in my family. I, maybe I have that problem. So I started going to AA. I mean, I looked down every Avenue possible. And one of my clients is a family and marriage therapist. And so she referred me to a friend. So I started going to therapy and so, and all the while still going back to my doctor. Then I begged her, just please send me to a GI. Something's wrong. Here's another fun diagnosis. So I went to the GI doctor. He told me, oh, you know what? You're telling me these things. I'm not even kidding you. It was so degrading to this day. It's like a, it's like a permanent memory on my brain that he goes, you know, you really need to get help. I mean, he said it just like that. And he goes, this is all in your head. I mean, there's nothing here. 
yes, you have IBS, but there's nothing I can do about that. There's no cure for that. And all this stuff you're saying, like it's in your mind. So you really need to get help for yourself. Like you need to see somebody like he said, it so condescending that I just was like, no, it's not <laughs> like in my mind. Listen, and here's the thing. Here's but did you doubt yourself at that point? So did, did he have an impact on you to truly doubt yourself even more than you were prior to that? You know, what's funny going back to my intuition in, in one sense, you know, I thought, okay, I guess an element to that can be true, but I've always held so tight to this thing. That's like, I knew that I knew that I knew there is something physically wrong with me. Listen, we're all a little mental. Okay. We all need, I'm a hundred percent for therapy. We all need therapy. (laughs) Okay. But, and so of course I needed therapy. I mean, everybody does, but there was something inside of me. I knew that something was going on and I'm like, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Like physiologically, something is wrong. It's almost like there was just these red flares shooting up in my body, going to my brain like ask, like begging for help. So I remember after going to that GI and then I'm going to my therapist and coming home and crying my eyes out to Philip. I even did, um, EDMR therapy. And so, um, just diving so deep. And I believe Margot, you spoke about this on your podcast that it's like, cause you were sort of, you went down sort of the same path where you were kind of like looking for things and you kind of knew what to look for, but you weren't coming across the right people. And that's kind of how I felt in the sense of, I am so aggressively, I will not stop this search to be better. I will not stop digging to find out what's wrong. I have to fight for myself. I have to figure out what's wrong. Like, I don't know where this drive in me came from that I was so determined to find out what's wrong. And I just remember talking to Philip and I said, I, I just had my hands and my head in my hands and I'm going, I am begging I am begging. I am screaming. I am begging. I am going to everyone I know, GI doctor, my primary care doctor, my therapist, AA, friends, church, everywhere. And I'm just saying like, something is wrong. I need help. I need help. I need help. I need help. It's something is wrong in me and I can't find it by myself. I need help. And nobody would listen. Nobody. Because even my therapist, you really need to be on SSRI. And then I went to a psychiatrist But see, it's that thing inside of me that was like, no, 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 no. But I'll tell you this, Matt, I did that for a year. One year I stood my ground and I said, no, it's not in my head. It is not in my head. I'm going to find this. And I refused and refused and refused to take an SSRI because I was like, it's not in my head and I need a clear mind because I have a clear mind and I still can't figure out what's wrong. And as so that year, of me being so determined to find, I mean, I went hard. When I tell you guys I went hard, I went so hard. I got, I read the gratitude book every day. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have my gratitude and I meditate and I pray and I go to church. I mean, I was psycho. I remember when I was so sick. Anyways, the point is while that happened, I, my health declined rapidly. I got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where we had to take a trip to Montana And at this point, so I was in AA, I wasn't drinking alcohol, not self-medicating. I have no help at this point because that was my only crutch. That was my only saving grace. And I I don't mean to put that in a, a positive light because I mean, it's not a, it's not healthy, but at the time that's all I had. And I had nothing. I was going cold Turkey in terms of help. I had nothing. I was on my own two feet and I was very sick. 
and I was doing everything I could. And I was punishing myself because I'm like, you can't figure this out. You can't make yourself better. And, um, so I, I went to Montana and I was so, oh my gosh, I was so sick. I was so sick. I remember having to get into the Uber to go to the airport with Philip, thank God. And I was a wreck. I had tremors. I was pouring sweat. I was pale as a ghost. I made the Uber pull over probably like three times and like in a laundromat gas station. I don't even know where, because I thought I had to go to the bathroom. I was sick to my stomach. I mean, I thought I was like going to make a mess in his car. It was so bad. And I was hysterically crying. I was gripping Philip's hand so tight and I was just struggling. I didn't even know what was wrong at the time. My stomach was messed up. I had anxiety. I was nauseous. I mean, the symptoms go on and on. And we finally made it to the airport. And I was just, I like pretty much collapsed because I, it was so exhausting just going through that experience. And it was horrible. It was horrible. The whole flight there. And then I have to, I I don't want to call it perform, but again, it's an invisible illness. Everyone's like, Oh my God, you look amazing. Oh, why aren't you drinking? Like what's wrong? And the whole time I'm so focused on keeping up with my performance of making it seem like I'm okay, making it look like I'm okay. And because it's, it's beyond just having to be okay and look okay. This is work. This is work. I have to be on camera. We were filming this thing about, a, it was like for a booking app for hairdressers and we're doing multiple filmings and interview here and commercial there. And, um, and then we're in this super important business meeting and I'm trying to collect my thoughts on how can I elevate this company so that it can be more relatable to artists. So these are like deep business thoughts that I'm trying to collect in my mind all the while I'm so sick. So when we came home, I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I cannot live like this. And so that's when you speak to that desperation, Matt, it's like, I've been there. I've been there because my, I gripped onto my faith. I remember when we were in Montana, I was watching YouTube sermons, like Stephen Furtick, like anything like over and over and over and over and over on my phone, just to try to get myself to a mental strength, like a space of mental strength where I could get through the next hour of whatever I had to do. And then I came home and I was supposed to assist my boys, which is Philip and his partner at the time at the studio, we were going to film some hair stuff. And I got in the car to go to work, to go to the job and I couldn't do it. I told Philip to pull over the car and I walked home because he had to go to work. We can't just not go. Life doesn't stop. Even though our bodies are breaking down to the point where we cannot function, we are debilitated and we cannot function. Life goes on. So I said, you have to let me out of the car. I cannot do this. And it started to rain and I walked home in the rain and I just said, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. If I'm suffering this bad for this long, maybe it is in my head. Maybe I do need an SSRI. So five days later, I started on Prozac and gabapentin. Um, And, you know, nothing against that because I know some people it's really important for them and it's really helpful. And there are situations where that's needed. And even maybe for Lyme, it it might be, might be necessary as a tool for Lyme in some ways. And, you know, maybe to this day, it it did help me in some ways, but long-term I knew it wasn't the solution, you know, but. So, so Danny, I mean, it sounds like you knew in your core that it was so much more, but you were just so beat down by this medical gaslighting that mm-hmm. you just gave in, took, mm-hmm. took these SSRIs and said, I'm just so desperate to feel better. And it sounds like they didn't really help you the way you 
thought or they thought it would help you. But it sounds like this is there's a light at the end of the tunnel here that about a short period of time later, you're getting diagnosed with now a thyroid condition. And then shortly after that, within a one year window, you get diagnosed with Lyme. So talk, walk us through how you found a doctor who helped you get diagnosed with your thyroid condition. And then ultimately how that same doctor helped you get a diagnosis with Lyme disease. Yeah. So um, it was just a really sad time because I was really sick. And then I started taking the SSRI. And then when I did that, I couldn't feel any highs or any lows. So it just, um, you know, it didn't help. It didn't make me feel happy and my joyful self. You know, this is where Philip's like, who, who is this person? You know? Well, I can't imagine you without emotion. I mean, this is the first time we're meeting you, but I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, Margo, I, I just can't imagine, you know, you me being neither. emotionless. So. Emotion yeah. is like the most beautiful thing ever. I really can't imagine. And it's so interesting when you say that like Philip didn't recognize you because I feel like a lot of in these dynamics as a parent kind of caregiver situation right. and the parent is like, wait, I don't recognize my child, but it's like, there's th- that's like a very complex situation because that you're no longer a child. So the right. fact that he was able to meet you at, at this place that you were at and then watch this situation happen is not beautiful by any means, but also very beautiful in the sense of, of how it happened. Yeah, no, it is. And I always tell them that I'm like, oh, you got such a raw deal. Cause when you met me, <laughs> healthy and I was just all you know a beautiful and obviously I gained a lot of weight when I had my thyroid I had hypothyroid and you know just debilitated when he first met me I was just badass you know what I mean and then it's like a few years later and I'm all oh I need a blanket like he's just like what <laughs> like what is this um <laughs> I'm just kidding he's never said and that. talk about thyroid alone I mean that just affects so many things I oh mean, yeah when the thyroid isn't functioning properly I mean we call Lyme the great mimicker but talk about thyroid issues I mean that is like the great mimicker to a T. I mean, the, so the two going hand in hand is talk about a struggle, you know? Yeah, definitely. So it was just a really sad time then. And, um, I just felt so alone. I just, honestly, I felt like an alien. I really felt like an alien. And I remember sitting at a, um, it was like a, a women's Bible study type of group thing here in LA. And I just remember sitting at the table and these girls are talking and they're laughing and they have their Starbucks and they're just living life normal. And I just, the disassociation was indescribable. I just felt like, I don't know what it's like to live anymore. You know, I just, I, I'm so, I'm so out here in outer space because this is where I've been pushed away because nobody knows wrong and you don't fit in a normal functioning life but you're still living in this world. <laughs> and so it's just, you're just floating, you know? And you are, I, were you experiencing disassociation at that point looking yes. back now? Oh yeah. Big time. And so I think the Lyme was definitely happening already at that point. Um, but like I said, it's a weird, perfect storm of this and that, and all these different things that were coming in all at the same time. And so yeah, being on that SSRI, I, I definitely was just like, you just hit the pause button is all it did for me, which wasn't helpful because like I said, life goes on. And so, and the sad thing was, um, I had an amazing clientele here in LA and I have people that have been with me for years. And so they, and then what the interesting thing you guys is that there was a time when Philip was traveling globally to, so much 
I mean, he would be like in Russia one day and then New York the next day and then in Turkey and then in, you know, Mexico. And I mean, he was just all over the place. It was incredible. Um, but he couldn't take care of clients. <laughs> so I took on all his clients and just in the meantime, you know, and so they, they actually got to know me really well when I was healthy. And then they would see me when they would come in to see him, they would see me and they're just like, what is wrong with Danny? Like, you know, they don't want to ask me, but then when they were by themselves with Philip, they're like, is she okay? Like something's wrong. So, you know, people were definitely noticing, including my clients. Um, they were worried about me, you know, they were really worried about me. And I had already, you know, you build a relationship with your clients. So I've had these conversations like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to AA, like I'm sober now, like, oh my gosh, you know, so it's like, they've seen this journey of me, oh, I'm going to therapy, blah, 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 you know, and it's like, you have those conversations because we have a private suite. So it's not a big salon space. It's just me and my client, or, you know, at the time it would just maybe Philip would have a client and I would have a client at the same time, but it's a very intimate space. And so they saw me going through this and getting to this point where I'm just completely numb and I'm just not a person anymore. Um, and then also I would be getting sick. Like I would try to physically do hair and I would get ch chills and tremors and, um, you know, it was just really difficult. And so an incredible, incredible blessing from God. One of my clients, she's like, you know what, Danny It was the one that's the family therapist who, who referred me to a therapist at the time. She's like, you know what? I have seen you for years go through everything you've going through. And I talked to her about everything. So she knows everything. And she's like, you remind me of this lady I know who's going through a lot of the same symptoms. And she went to this doctor in El Segundo and this medical group called Holtorf. And I was like, oh, really? Like a, a glimmer of hope. I'm like, well, tell me more about it. You know, well, little did I know that her client. So, so my client, the therapist was a therapist for a TV show. So she would kind of be on the panel sometimes for this TV show or whatever. So one of the hosts of that show, she was going through the same thing. Turns out she did have like a, um, not a thyroid, um, what is it called? Um, Hashimoto's. And so um, along with a lot of other things that she had been dealing with, she struggled for many, many, many years. And when she went to Holtorf, they were finally able to help her. So when she told me this, I mean, I went off like a roadrunner and I was like, and I went to Holtorf and I'm like, let me see Dr. Lawfer, make me an appointment. Let's go. So I had that appointment. Now, little did I know, um, you know, the cost is, you know, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not on TV. <laughs> so I didn't put two and two together. Like, oh, wow, this is, if you're really going to get help. And if you're really going to find someone who's actually invested and wants to care for you, it's going to cost you. And this celebrity, I mean, she, you know, she obviously has the funds to do it, but she had the determination to do it as well, because she was like me in the sense she had to be on camera. She had to look her best. She had to have the energy to function, um, in the entertainment industry. And so she, again, you get to that place of desperation. And so she went there. Um, so yeah, so that was, I just, I will never forget when I went into that first appointment, first of all, you don't fill out a questionnaire, like, what are your symptoms and how long have you been sick? Nothing, nothing. It's, they already know that that group of people are incredible and they already know the type of person you're going to be when you're walking through their door, they come in, they, they welcome you with open arms. They sit you down and they're like, tell me what's going on. And they literally let you, they give you the space to spill your guts, to explain what's going on. So we had like probably a 
two hour consultation, at least he's touching parts of me and squishing and looking at, you know, swelling and my tongue and my neck and asking me these crazy weird questions. And I'm explaining everything to him. And I was so desperate. I mean, I was just begging him and he was kind of like, you don't have to beg me. Like, it's okay. I totally get it. And I remember when I walked out of the, out of the consultation, I was in tears and I just was like, thank you so much. And he stopped me and he was like, you know, you don't need to thank me. And I want you to know you're not crazy and I'm going to help you. We're going to figure this out. Okay. And the way that he said that I had never in this whole journey, I had never felt validation. Like he gave that to me. I mean, that alone was worth every penny I've spent (laughs) and there's been a lot (laughs) at that place. So from that moment on was the massive blood testing and everything that we've done. And immediately he found the thyroid immediately. And nobody had ever even looked for that. Nothing. So that was immediate. And he didn't just jump to Lyme. I mean, it was like, okay, your gut's really messed up. Okay. Your cortisol's through the roof. And so that's what they, they're miners. They're, I don't want to say gold diggers, they're miners there. And they dig through, they dig, 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 and they poke through and they're like, okay, what's this? Check this. What's that? And it's very personalized. And that's the first thing he explained to me is like, when you go to a normal doctor, oh, you're within the range. Oh, you look fine. Quote unquote, you sound fine. Quote unquote, you look normal. You know, all these, oh, that's normal. Oh, for your age, for your weight. Oh, that's normal. No, there is no normal. We're going to look at your normal. Where should you be? Where should your levels be? What's going on with you based on your history? Like not just medically, I mean, all the things that we talked about. So it was that personalized care that he was able to kind of navigate and work bit by bit on what was going on with me. Danny, what was it though beyond the thyroid condition? Because it sounds like when you got your thyroid condition, you may have thought that was the root cause, but it sounds like now the this facility was digging deeper and they were being detectives and they were looking at all these clues. And what made them go beyond the thyroid condition to keep testing and ultimately land on Lyme disease as well? Yeah, so that's pretty much what it was. Um, you know, I, so he, he was treating me for a long, um, sorry, thyroid, uh, hypothyroid. And so he had me on progesterone and, um, you know, just medication for the thyroid stuff. And, um, again, my intuition and that voice inside, I felt like there was something wrong with the progesterone and I don't normally, I wouldn't just take myself on and off medications. Um, you know, but having conversations and praying about it and different things, I'm like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't feel like this is right. And, um, so I actually went off of those medications, um, but I just was still really sick, Matt. I just had so many issues that were going on and, um, you know, it's, it's really difficult to look back and try to answer your questions. <laughs> Honestly, like when people do it so flawlessly on your podcast, I'm like, how do I remember okay, that? So, wait, stop for a second, though, because, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, we, you know, you're doing amazing. So to, to sit there and say, how do people do that? I don't know how you could do that. You're, you're killing it. You don't even need bar going on. You're telling your story. You can tell it up without us. So uh, it's it just, as you're telling your story, there's so much of my story and your story as well. So I'm seeing a lot of myself in you. And I think, I know a lot of our listeners are going to be seeing themselves in you as well. So I think it's important to note that your intuition kept telling you, well, I'm not getting better. So you mm-hmm. stopped and you had to listen to your intuition. And the longer you don't listen to your body, so we call it body signals on this podcast. So the longer you don't listen to your body signals, the longer it's going to take you to get to the ultimate root cause of what's going on and the harder it's going to be to treat yourself, right? So I think you're giving us a ton of good tips and tricks and guidance based on your experience here 
that we can walk away with and be able to help ourselves in our own journeys, even if we're at a later stage in, in our healing journey than you're describing to us right now where you are at this time. So, but now it sounds like this medical group is amazing. You're stopping the medicine. You knew there was something deeper. So you were going back still and saying, hey, look, I'm still sick. There's got to be something else here. And they were, they were testing and, and looking and seeing what was going on and running more tests and running this whole big picture analysis of your body, it sounds like, right? Yeah. And honestly, that's what it is. It's sort of a process of elimination. And that's kind of the sucky part about it because it, it Lyme is so complex, but really for me, you know, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to like be offensive or anything here, but I don't necessarily like look at, okay, it's just Lyme. I do try to look at the whole picture of what's going on with my body because, okay, you have Lyme, you know, and not, and again, everybody's journey is different. So for me, I'm super grateful that although my quote unquote diagnosis is late stage chronic Lyme, you know, there are other health things going on and my approach to quote unquote treating what's going on is it's an all encompassing approach, you know? So it's, how is my gut doing? You know, just how are other, all other things functioning? Cause my understanding of it is, you know, I really try to focus on boosting my immune system, yep. um, you know, all those types of things. So it's like, for a while I was so zeroed in on, on Lyme. It's like, okay, okay, Danny, you read all the Lyme books, you know, all about the Lyme. Like, you know, you got to kind of move on from that a little bit, but again, everybody's different. Now I never treated with antibiotics. So. Well, you that, did your whole life though, pretty much. Right. Well, right. Were, so I mean, <laughs> right. let's be real. So you probably did a pretty good job at knocking down the microbial load as much as possible. And what was left may have been antibiotic resistant or not not being treated well by the docuslycum, but you probably your whole life are keeping the bacterial load down because you're on doxy, which is again, you're different than other people because you were, you were on doxy. Right. right. And, and I'm, and I thank you for being so honest because we agree. Right. And everybody's perspective is different. And we encourage you to share your beliefs. It's never just Lyme disease. Right. So when we had this discussion recently offline, just this week, where when we say Lyme disease, we, especially chronic Lyme disease, it's not just Borrelia burgdorferi. That's right. not what chronic Lyme disease is right. because many people have Lyme disease and are harboring in their bodies and not sick. It's the right. perfect storm. It's a, it's a combination of different things that are going on in your body and, and gut health is huge, right? You were on antibiotics your whole life. What do antibiotics do? They weaken your gut. They cause things like leaky gut and they cause all kinds of GI issues. We know yeah. your gut health is connected to your immune health. Your immune health sacrifices, what happens? Your body becomes compromised. Your body becomes compromised, what happens? You have all these opportunistic things going on in your body that take over, like Epstein-Barr virus we talk about all the time and other things Which I'm like parasites well. and, and, and heavy metals and mold toxicity and your body can't properly remove or detox these, these toxins in your body because your body's compromised. It's yeah. the whole domino effect yes. of your immune system and your immune health. So we yeah. totally agree with you. And that's why we don't like the word chronic Lyme because it implies just Borrelia and it, and it never is. Right. And I think that's what you're trying right. to explain to our, our, our listeners. And, and I think this is a really important tip also, Danny, and you're giving us so much good stuff. And I don't know if you're realizing how much gold you're giving us because we have people that tell us all the time, like, you know, and I, I have Lyme disease and I'm going to treat the Lyme bacteria and I'm going to get better. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I found out I have parasites and I'm going to do, I'm going to do cell core and I'm going to get my life back. And I'm like, yeah. no, that's not how it works. Right. Because it's never mm -hmm. just parasites. It's never just Lyme disease. It's never just, you know, Babesia. It's never just mold. It's never just heavy metals. It's never just, you know, whatever it may be. So thank you for sharing that because we don't talk about that enough on this podcast. And I think it's a really important lesson that you need to take a holistic approach see what's going on in your body and support all the different areas of your body that need support. And collectively, as you rebuild, your body will become resilient because we're designed to be resilient. And that's how you're going to get to ultimately a 
good place in health. So I'm sorry for going on my, my no, little speaker, but no, I, you were sharing this and I just think it's gold and I want to make sure you understand how much gold you're giving us. So thank you for that. No, it's, you actually brought something up that I've never even considered or, or thought of before is that, you know, I think you're absolutely right. And the fact that I was taking the doxy for so long, it definitely kept it at bay because I will tell you this, when I met Philip, he also was a proponent for my personal health. Um, he struggled with a little bit of health things in his life. Um, and so, you know, like I said, not, not only feeling, um, safe with him being able to heal emotionally and all that stuff, but he was very encouraging for me to help myself, um, with other health issues. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, you know, I was on a birth control. I had a, I had an implant in my arm and I was getting, you know, so you totally, totally transparent. I had, you know, these chronic UTIs and they were debilitating. And one day he had to rush me to the emergency because I had a kidney infection and it was so terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying for him. And he was kind of like, and I'm like, oh, I've had UTI since I was four. Like, it's totally normal. And he's like, it's not normal. <laughs> like, that's but not isn't okay. wild how you think that's normal because you've been like that your whole life, right? Exactly. And then you start to realize once you get sick, you realize, wow, that was never normal, right? So I think exactly. that's a really interesting perspective to have for people listening. It's not normal to have UTIs all the time, right? We teased before this podcast started because I pee often, right? And there's this, this condition, <laughs> interstitial cystitis, right? So I learned about it two years ago when we started the podcast. I'm like, I think I have IC from Lyme disease, right? Because I pee way too much. So <laughs> all of these things that we t- think are normal are really signs and clues that your, you know, your team of doctors, I think it helped you identify. And also, and also, you know, Philip has helped you identify, Hey, Danny, that's not normal. And now yeah. you're using those clues to figure out what you need to treat holistically. And from a whole exactly. body standpoint to get better. And I think it's really yeah. beautiful about your story is you have your, your, your loving and amazing partner, Philip, you have this amazing team of doctors and you kept digging and digging and digging. So you found out what is this big picture that is Danny Tiger and how can we get her better? And that's awesome. So I'm sorry, you can keep going. I just yeah. think it's such an inspirational no, no. story. And it's, it's, it's true. It's having that support. Like I said, that's why I said, I'm so blessed. God's had his hand in it the whole time, because I don't know if this would be my story, if I didn't have Philip's support or, you know, my faith or other things like that. But I do know that he's the one that encouraged me to get rid of my birth control. He's like, you know, that's and implants and that's hormones that's on your body. Like, and none of that's good for you, you know? And he's not like the most holistic person, but in the same sense, um, you know, his, his health stuff, um, you know, he just treated on his own. And so he's very self-disciplined in that manner. And, you know, sort of a self-help in, in that way where, you know, he's, he's not a huge fan of doctors. I don't think, which I am, I love my doctors. Um, but you know, he, he's like, you gotta, you gotta like stick up for yourself in a sense when it comes to your health, which is really was very encouraging for me. And so, yeah, not having, um, so the second I took out the, the birth control out of my arm, I never got a UTI ever again from that. Wow. From that moment on. And I did get one and I treated it with golden seal which is, um, you know, a holistic supplement. What, what is that? Is that an herb? Is what, what is, what I believe it is. is. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, it was golden again, seal? Dr. Rhonda Patrick, <laughs> I heard, I had heard about it. Um, but at that see already before I even was getting more and more sick, I just thought, you know, this foreign stuff in my body, I just thought more and more about what I'm putting into my body because he's that way. He's so, um, you know, he has, uh, he's a, um, deals with ulcerative colitis, but he he's, he's completely 
combated that. He compl- he doesn't have to deal with that at all anymore because he is so meticulous about the way that he eats and what he puts into his body and how much water he drinks. Um, he's amazing. He's amazing with that. And so that's even just encouraging for me to see the way that he takes care of himself. Um, you know, like when I, discovered that I had to make changes in my life because of the Lyme diagnosis. I'm like, I cannot, I can't have gluten. I have dairy. I can't have anything. And he's like, who cares? Like, that's not a big deal. And I'm like, it is a big deal because <laughs> I'm a comfort eater and he is not. So he, you know, for him to have to make dietary changes, it, it was not a big deal. So, you know, but again, even though sometimes I'm like, I want to have a pity party, but having him as a support and an encourager, it's been really, really, really helpful. Cause I'm like, all right, if he can do it, I can do it, you know? <laughs> but it's what's so cool about your journey. And I'm sorry to call it cool. Cause I know it's, it's horrible. And I'm sorry that you had to go through this, but I'm happy that you, uh, happy in a way, because we got to meet and now become friends and we get to share your story to help other people. But as you were treating your Lyme disease before you knew you even had it, right? I mean, EMDR is something people do at the end of their Lyme journey because they have to, they have to retrain their brain. And you were doing that before you knew that yeah. you have Lyme disease, right? You yeah. are adjusting your diet because of the impact. I think it was your sister, right? Is that who it was? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's really key for Lyme disease. And you're doing yeah. that before you got a diagnosis. You yeah. were, you were learning about your hormones, yeah. which is really powerful and autoimmune, which is very common with Lyme disease. You were addressing these other things before you even knew it. And yeah. intuitively your body was telling you what was wrong and you were learning until you built up to the Lyme diagnosis. And again, yeah. it's not Lyme, Borrelia, Burgdorferi, it's Lyme, chronic Lyme disease as a whole, which is systemic immune dysfunction and systemic, you know, body failure, in my opinion, right? So that's the really cool part about your story is you had all this intuition. You know, I, I believe like you believe that this was God giving you signals to improve your body before you even got your Lyme diagnosis to make your body stronger and stronger and stronger, not even knowing you have Lyme. So then when you get the diagnosis, you can continue on to get where you need to be. I mean, and, and clearly, I don't want to make assumptions, but you look amazing. You sound amazing. You're super smart and you're blowing us away in this podcast. So yeah, you, you clearly have made a major, major uh, progress in your healing journey since your diagnosis. So talk to us though, when you, when, now, when you got your diagnosis, you're at this facility, what led them to Lyme disease and what was that like to get that diagnosis? Yeah. So really quickly to what you said, Matt, I absolutely recognize how incredibly blessed I am and I can absolutely pull gratitude out of my specific story and my journey and, you know, possibly being able to help people because of what I've experienced and all of that. But yeah, I mean, even watching like a documentary and seeing, or even, you know, Margo or seeing people that are really, I mean, they really, really struggle. And of course my struggle is real. (laughs) Um, but maybe possibly getting diagnosed when I did, or like you said, all these things that have led up to where I'm at right now. Yes. In some senses, I am very sick, but when I, not that I would compare, but just kind of look at other people's stories and see their journeys. It's like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I have a supportive partner, that this is where I'm at, that I was introduced to EDMR, all the things that I've, you know, come across my path, um, healing before I knew I needed healing. (laughs) Um, yeah, I absolutely recognize that. And I, yeah, I thank God for that constantly, constantly. Um, even just, even just how much it drew me closer to God has just been a blessing. So I have, I'm, yeah, that's a huge part of my story, but yeah, a few. So basically, you know, kind of like when you guys were initially interviewing me for the podcast, um, you know, I had my thyroid and like I said, I went off of the thyroid medication. I was still really sick. And, um, I had some spouts of time where I would not see, um, Dr. Lawfer at Holtorf. And, you know, that's just a part of the healing journey. It's like, 
you are a warrior. And so there was times where I just fought really, really hard. And then times where I was just like, I don't care right now. (laughs) I just can't do it. I just can't do it because you get trying to untangle, untangle the knots in your mind while experiencing symptoms. It just sometimes becomes too much. And you just have, you do have to hit the pause button and you just kind of have to give in for a little bit and just go, you know what? I can't try to, I can't try to figure this out right now. I just have to just chill out for a minute. I have to check out for a minute. So there were times where I didn't, I didn't see him. Um, and so, yeah, I had, we had done a wedding in Idaho and I forgot my supplements (laughs) and I forgot my thyroid medication and I was off of the progesterone and thyroid for like a full week. And I felt exactly the same. And then when I went back on the progesterone, my face had blown up about like three times bigger than it was. And so that was really difficult for me was like the weight gain and the physical changes in my body. And it was such a bummer because I was actually getting baptized (laughs) and I've, you know, I've, like I said, I've known Jesus since I was five, but in this journey of trying to, you know, get to know myself better and find deeper healing and being closer with God and all these things, it was just an important thing for me to do. And so, um, of course, you know, like my mom's there and we're taking pictures and videos and I'm just like this beast whale coming up out of the water. And I'm like, that's not even me. <laughs> I don't even look like that. That's because- a water retention photo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> not and dancing. my, my doctor had, he wanted me on a diuretic. And again, this is something where I was like, I don't feel like it's right. I don't want to do the diuretic. I don't like it. It doesn't feel right to me. So, you know, I wasn't. And then after that, after seeing those photos, I'm like, I need diuretics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I'll kidding. take them doctor. Yeah. But I just knew, I thought, you know what, I, this isn't, this isn't good for me anymore. Taking the medications, uh, progesterone, the thyroid medication, it just, it didn't feel right. So I went off of it. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that because especially there are so many women, a, that are on here, B that listen to the podcast and C I, I used to coach women who the, and I like to use quotes, the, the quote unquote root of their issue were hormonal issues and right. These are not the root of their issues. I I hate to break it to you and anyone listening, you know, the root of your problem most likely is not a hormonal issue. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, I want to talk a little bit just briefly about you getting the, um, arm implant birth control situation out and then the switch I'm assuming, um, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that then they put you on the progesterone to get you off of that, that arm implant. Um, do do you want to talk a little bit about that? And maybe was it a bioidentical? What kind, what kind of progesterone? Um, I just feel like for as a woman, this is a really, really common issue. And um, for, for me personally, and I know you listened to the, the podcast episode that I did with Tick Boot Camp, but I was in the ER monthly with the worst cramping of my life. And they would say, it's just so weird. You just have like really bad cramps. It's just so strange. And no one even said like endometriosis, PCOS, you know, even, even just like, you know, painful cramps are a thing. Yeah. And of course, none of the infectious disease stuff was tied into that. But I'm just curious about kind of the transition off of that hormonal pharmaceutical birth control to the progesterone. Yeah. So again, maybe an intuition thing that I just have, or maybe just from taking years of antibiotics my whole life, Yeah. (laughs) but I was sort of on a mission of, I just don't, I don't want anything foreign in my body and I'm not putting anything foreign in my body. So the time when I took my birth control out, that was probably, um, 
you know, Philip and I had been dating for like a year or so. And so that was probably five years ago and I got it removed and, um, that was it. I didn't nothing. I didn't go on any other kind of hormones, nothing at all. I actually went from that to, um, I have a fertility monitor that I use. It's called the lady comp. And, <laughs> and so it's just a little thermometer with a little computer attached to it. And, um, you know, regularly, like every morning when I wake up, I just take my temperature and it's really great. Cause you can be extremely lazy and I just don't ever pay attention to it. I just take my temperature and that's it. And then, um, it gives you like red light, yellow light, green light of like when you're ovulating. So I think people probably use that to get pregnant. And I am just, you know, I like to just use it to keep track of what's going on and, um, you know, as a form of birth control in a sense in that way. Um, not to mention that, you know, loss of libido is like a super sad side effect because not, not, not just grieving your body image, Mm -hmm. who you were as a person, um, you know, and poor Philip is just like this wounded little lamb. Like she can't even breathe, you know, like, I mean, that's a whole other story for probably a different podcast. Um, but yeah, so that's a different topic, but I just went off of the birth control. I went to the all natural fertility monitoring system. Um, and then here we are, you know, a few years later and, um, I get diagnosed with the thyroid. And so because of that diagnosis, um, and because of my blood work, he's like, oh my gosh, you are just through the roof, 100% estrogen. Like, this is just really bad. So that's why he put me on the progesterone because of the not sleeping, um, just different, different symptoms that I was having. Um, coupled with my thyroid disease. That's why he put me on that. So, um, that's kind of really, there wasn't, and just even from, like I said, I just, it wasn't for me. It just wasn't, you know, and again, he treated my thyroid properly and I'm super grateful for everything that he offered me, but that was the only medication that he ever supplied because whole Torf, to my understanding is more of a holistic, um, treatment center. Um, so whole Torf is a place that you go when you don't know what's wrong with you when you've come to the end of your lifeline and you have no idea what's going on, you go to whole Torf medical, and then they're going to help you to figure out what's going on and then how to treat it. And so for me, it was more, you know, immediately he's like, okay, we're done with the antibiotics. That is not even an option. We're not doing that because your gut will not be able to handle it anyways. Um, and I had already from the research that I had done, I wanted to have a holistic approach. So like I said, I've never treated with antibiotics since being diagnosed with things. So anyways, we, I had the thyroid and then, um, went off when I was in Idaho, didn't take my medication, decided to go off of it, but I didn't see him for like six months. Um, so I finally, um, you know, was like, okay, I need to, um, I need to go see him and see what's going on. And, and yeah, he was like, your, your thyroid, your thyroid's fine. And I went into that appointment like, you know, you always have your list of things like, okay, I think I have a fatty liver. My thyroid is really bad, blah, 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 blah. And I'm, t- I'm telling him and he's just listening. And then I finish, and he's like, okay, so your thyroid's back to normal. Your cortisol's great. Your liver's really good. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> wait, what do you mean? <laughs> I thought I had it all figured out. <laughs> and so he's really had to hold my hand and guide me through things and suggest things. But, um, yeah, I can definitely discuss with you guys. Um, 
when I had my Lyme diagnosis. Cause I know Matt's asked me like 20 times and I haven't answered his question. Yeah. I'd love, definitely love to hear. We'd both love to hear more about your Lyme diagnosis and then kind of what you're doing for treatment wise right now. Um, I know you're still over there and I I've actually consulted two of their physicians. I really, really like their clinic. I really like what they're doing. I like that they have a full body approach and I really do like a lot of these quote unquote places that are, are having a full body approach are missing the infectious disease portion and missing the co-infection portion. Yes. All of the symptoms that come with that, you know, the POTS and, and everything else. And so, um, I, I, I'm not here to say you're in amazing hands, but I think you're in really great hands. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of what you're doing there, uh, Lyme co-infection wise. And then also were you tested, um, like clinically for Lyme, like how did the testing go Lyme wise, co-infection wise? Did, did anything pop? Are you aware that anything popped up, et cetera? Yeah. So, um, basically just along the journey, like I said, it's kind of hard to look back on the exact timeline. Um, but it's just ebbs and flows of him trying to find stuff, us going over my blood work, trying different things. How are the symptoms going? What's happening? And just this kind of back and forth conversation. Um, and what's really interesting is so, yeah. So basically, um, I, I, I just remember I had an appointment with him and I got the blood work. I had my blood work done and, um, I had no idea that he was testing me for Lyme. He didn't talk about it. He didn't ask me about it, nothing. And, um, this was just along the journey. So that's why I think it's kind of confusing when I try to figure out like, well, how did this, how did this come about? But I'll tell you that I was sitting at my you know kitchen bar and he called me and, um, you know, we started doing our, cause this was, I guess this, yeah, this was 2020 and we did our, our appointments, um, via phone and he's like, okay, you know, I went over your blood work, whatever. And he was talking about me being positive for Epstein bar. And previously to that, he had me on a supplement called Fibronex, um, because I guess in layman's terms, I had like dirty blood, sense. <laughs> Um, it was filled with these proteins and it was really difficult for it to travel throughout my body. And so, um, you know, the symptoms of that was, you know, the energy and I had a lot of weird symptoms of like dead limbs and just all the different things that we had talked about. He had explained that. So basically it went from that of thyroid stuff, gut stuff, you know, positive for Epstein-Barr and, you know, this, um, situation with these proteins in my blood. So he called me and he's just going over everything, blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, this and that your blood looks fine. Now I want you to know, and the Epstein bar, it's not a problem. And he's just talking to me. And then he kind of like braced himself and is like, you know, I did some, I did some blood work on you and there's these panels that I ran. And I want you to know that four of these panels came back positive. And again, I have no idea what he's talking about. I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like, four of these panels came back positive. This strand, you know, this strand and this strand 32. Now those can typically flag just because of a uh, general inflammation in the body, but this 42 strand, you know, was flagged and whatever. And so blah, blah, blah. So this tells me that it's very clear and there's no doubt that you definitely have chronic Lyme. And I was like, uh-huh. And I just, <laughs> no idea. I was just like, "Uh uh-huh. And he's like, so you have a late stage chronic Lyme disease. 
And I was like, okay. Like, I just literally had no idea. (laughs) Okay, what else? Because I'm an idiot. I I never know what he's talking about. I always have to research it later and I write everything down. (laughs) But you're not an idiot because who, especially in California, who knows about chronic Lyme disease, right? I mean, nobody thinks of Lyme disease being a chronic infection. If you know about it, you think it's an acute infection and something you can get over the short course of antibiotics. So, I mean, that goes to show you how inadequate awareness and education is in California that you were like, oh, okay, I have chronic Lyme disease. You had no idea what that truly meant, right? (laughs) Yeah, just uh huh, blank stare. And I just was like, oh, in my mind, I go, oh, okay, Lyme is like, I don't know, I've heard of that, but I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look into that, like in my mind, you know? And he's just like, did you hear me? And I'm just like, uh huh. So it really did not resonate at all. And I think when I got off of that, and he, you know, and he was just like, he didn't say, okay, we're going to treat it this way. And this and this and this and this, he really focused on the massive inflammation that was going on in my body and the inflammation that was being caused by the immune malfunction that was happening because of the Lyme flare up, basically the chronic Lyme flare up. What was he doing to treat the inflammation and this dysregulated or irregular immune system because of chronic Lyme disease? So it was just all supplements. So I had, I mean, the names, like any, any of the names, were they, were they from a specific company? Was it specific herbs or is it something that he just provided that was a proprietary tincture, something like that? Yeah. So pretty much they have their own line of supplements that they, um, that they offer, which I felt extremely comfortable with because I had come across so many different, um, you know, sources of supplementing. And I was very, weary of, oh, I don't want to just try this random thing, or I don't want to buy something off of Amazon or, you know, because I, again, Joe Rogan, I'm sorry, but I'm a fan and I've learned so much from him and just learning about how supplements are processed and where they come from. And I mean, there's just so many things. And so I, because I trusted Holtorf Medical so much because of how they had treated me and what they had helped me with, you know, just everything from day one, I wasn't really going to question it. So the initial way that we treated the inflammation was from supplementing. And then he also gave me BCP one, 157 injections for my stomach to go directly into my stomach. And those are great for Lyme disease, right? So I'm, I'm assuming you got those peptides or the BPC 157 for Lyme disease. Plus you're using supplements and herbs for modulating your immune system, strengthening your immune system, but also killing various microbes like Lyme bacteria, right? So you were using natural medicine to take a holistic approach from immune health, but also an antimicrobial standpoint. And the BPC-157, we've heard some amazing stories about. So I'm curious, did you find that they were helpful or, or for you, were they just something that you did and they weren't that powerful in your healing journey? Yeah. And I think it's very interesting that Dr. Lawfer really you know, kind of in a sense, looking back, and this may just be me reading into something that doesn't exist, but it's almost like he really catered to me in the sense where he didn't say like, you have Lyme disease and we're going to have to do this. He really just, he didn't put a lot of emphasis on it. He's like, this is part of the problem, but the inflammation is what our focus is and what we're going to be treating on, because that's what has the massive effect on you. So you need to eliminate gluten immediately. And I also want to mention that Dr. Lawfer tested me for mold toxicities, um, metal toxicities. I've gotten a lot of, um, negative, I don't know, feedback, I guess, because I'm heavily tattooed. A lot of people are like condemning me like, 
oh, don't you think you got sick because they have all that ink or, you know, just different things like that. And he never, he never questioned anything. And that's what I loved about the way he treated me because he never asked me like, when'd you get all those tattoos? He just would kind of look at me as a whole and hear my story and he would order things accordingly. We didn't have to have a whole conversation about it that would overwhelm me. He would just take care of me. And so even in the sense with the Lyme, I mean, he gave me the feedback. Okay, this is what I didn't even know he was running it. And then he ran these panels and then he let me know. Um, So it was kind of a, you know, like twofold of he did the uh, Western blot, I think. And then, you know, the clinical diagnosis of my symptoms that kind of helped us to discover the Lyme situation. Um, And yeah, he just treated the inflammation with the supplementing in the BPC 50 or 157. And so again, it was, I, I started taking those things and I definitely saw a change, but I, if I'm being honest for me, I wasn't fully committed to making the best choices because the lifestyle changes that were needed were so drastic for me that it was overwhelming. And I could not bring myself to doing, to doing all of those things until I like fully understood it, which is probably not the best way to go about it, which is another reason why I stopped seeing them for a while, because I was like, I'm the kind of person I have to be all in. I can't do stuff like, you know, a little here, a little bit there. And you definitely don't want to do that when you're spending so much money. And so for me, when I, you know, I had joined a support group on Facebook and, um, it was May Lyme disease awareness month and Dr. Rawls book, they were giving, they were just shipping it to people for free. And that I call that my Lyme Bible. (laughs) And I'm like, this book changed my life because it really helped me to understand what was going on and how I can apply these things to my situation and and where I'm at with everything. And so that was extremely helpful for me. Um, but yeah, the BPC, I, I was shooting it right into my stomach and I did see, I, I saw great things, you know, I got a lot of relief from that and it was extremely beneficial, but simultaneously I was drinking beer and eating pizza. <laughs> so well, it was not helpful. <laughs> what I love about your story, and it just keeps coming back to this theme of you were treating Lyme disease before you knew you had Lyme disease, right? So your, your doctor was kind of like, you have chronic Lyme disease. It sucks. It's a big deal, but I'm already treating you 80% for it anyway, because we're taking a holistic approach. So I'm going to fill that 20% gap that we weren't filling because I didn't know you had chronic Lyme disease. And we're going to give you a little bit extra support over here. And now we're giving you a collective treatment for chronic Lyme as well. So you were on your way to healing before you even had your diagnosis, which is so beautiful when you take that holistic Mm -hmm. approach with this amazing team of doctors that everything you're saying, I think I want to speak for myself. I personally agree with this is all great things to look at. You need to look at heavy metals, mold toxicity. You have to look yeah. at your gut health. You have to look at your inflammation. Inflammation is the, is the root cause of all illness, yes. in my opinion. Well, or should yes. Inflammation is the root cause of, of many of us in the Lyme community. I don't want to be too dramatic with my statements here. But you know, I think that you were treating all these things before you knew. And you were doing it personally, Danny. So Danny Tiger was treating herself by herself before she knew she had Lyme disease. Then you intuitively found through, through God's guidance, this amazing team of doctors to help you take the next steps and then you find you have Lyme disease, you have the big picture, you're treating it all. And now you took a break, you're doing your research and you go back at it. So walk us through, we're almost up to the present date, I feel like, right? So what else did you do and how are you feeling today? You know, or did we miss anything in between there? I don't want to skip anything. Yeah, well, that was a really big thing. Um, you know, I want to just touch on briefly the fact of, you know, 
trying to find someone that you can relate to because I'm a California girl, you know, Southern California. I don't treat with antibiotics. You know, it's a little bit of a different story. And so it's, it's sometimes difficult to find parallel lines. And like I said, I have to kind of take pieces from different people. Um, so yeah, I feel a little bit alone in that sense that I had a doctor that treated me in that manner, um, where he was looking at me as a whole. And then you, the way that you phrase it, Matt is just so right that he's just like, okay, like this is just another clue to the puzzle. And this is another piece of the puzzle. And we're going to keep on going and, you know, figuring this out. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of the approach that we had. Um, I would say another huge, incredible blessing, um, for me, and I really, I know I say this a lot and it probably gets annoying, but I mean, God's hand was just so, so in it because I'm such a type A personality. And I know Margo, you talked about this a lot on your podcast is a lot of times, you know, I don't know, maybe everybody gets Lyme, but it feels like <laughs> a lot of the people that are so debilitated by Lyme, they are just these really like vigorous, just amazing, you know, beast mode type of people that just have this incredible fortitude and drive and, you know, ambition and a type personality. And so you're just, just like, you know, going through life at this top speed and then, um, something like this happened and you have to completely, completely pivot and just realign your entire life's plan <laughs> and path. So I would say that one of the greatest blessings for me is that, um, when I really became, you know, pretty much debilitated, um, because of my Lyme and other symptoms. And I love the fact that you said the thing about the inflammation, Matt, because that's another thing where I'm like, I feel like I'm the inflammation queen. And I'm like, nobody talks about that stuff. <laughs> and so that's always been my understanding of it. Even reading Dr. Rawls book or all the different things, even Dr. Rhonda Patrick, like all the things that I've learned, it's all this crazy inflammation based on what we're putting in our body and how our body's functioning. And so, um, yeah, it's just really, it's really, really huge. So when I got super sick, it was March of 2020. And I feel like it was just the grace of God because I was going at a speed of a hundred and it started to gradually decline speed of 80 speed of 70. And I was running on E and I was barely hanging on. And then amazingly the world shut down and I couldn't go to work if I wanted to. <laughs> so I was like, this is amazing. Like I have an excuse to rest and to just like, like just dwell in my illness and like my, how debilitated I was because I was feeling so guilty for it. And so the time that I got to just be at home, we pulled the mattress in front of the TV and me and Philip just had Netflix parties all day, every day. And I just slept and I would have flare ups and he would just cover me up and he would do the dishes. And like, it was just amazing. And so I was so grateful for that time. But, um, around that time is when, um, I started having extremely severe symptoms of air hunger. And that was initially starting before the pandemic. So, um, I come to find out, I do have the co-infection of Babesia. And so that Babesia diagnosis is something I would say to this day, I still don't fully understand, but it's been a huge thing that Dr. Moses Lawfer has been, um, you know, really trying to help me to fight basically. Um, because for me, the symptoms of Babesia that I struggle with the most is air hunger, which if people don't know, is basically just, 
I feel like I'm drowning. I, I feel like I cannot get enough air into my lungs. And I'm always like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. But it's to my understanding, the way Dr. Lawford explained it is it's not a breathing issue. It's not a lung issue. Um, again, it's the inflammation. So my blood vessels are so inflamed that basically like one red blood cell can get through at a time. So I'm not getting enough oxygen, like flowing throughout my body. And so you have this gasping for air and you have this extreme tightness in your chest. And then for me, um, I still continue to struggle with it, but, uh, my hands and feet go numb extremely fast. Um, yeah, every single day when I wake up, my hands are super numb and it takes a few minutes. Like I'm every morning when I wake up, I'm like shaking my hands. Like, it's just so awkward. (laughs) Phil's like, what are you doing? But now he knows. Um, so yeah, that's been a real struggle because for me, that's the invisible part of my illness that I struggle with the most. I literally want to wear a sign. That's like, I'm having trouble breathing, especially when people are like, wear a mask. And I'm like, I can't breathe, <laughs> even though I not, I know it's not a, it's not a lung issue. I'm like, I need, I asked my doctor, like, can I have an oxygen tank? And he's like, no, that's not going to help. You have to get the inflammation down. <laughs> but that's what it feels like though. Sometimes it feels like, well, maybe there's like an outside source of oxygen that can provide that. And I know, um, and we can chat, chat off air a little bit, but I know for me personally, and still to this day, Babesia is one of my biggest struggles to a T. Um, it was yeah. my first diagnosis. And it was, I used to say before I was diagnosed, like, I'm so hungry for air. And people would yes. say, well, are you, are you out of breath? And, yeah. and even doctors that were not Lyme literate would say, are you out of breath? And I said, no, I'm never really out of breath. I'm just hungry. And they would say, okay, well then eat. I said, I'm not hungry for food. I'm hungry for air. Like <laughs> I need air. And then they would say, we'll take a deeper breath. And it's kind of this vicious cycle. But Babesia is such an interesting um, B word that I like to call it, that it, that it, the, the air hunger from it is, is so different than any, anyone has, you know, it's almost indescribable. You're just constantly, and it's, you know, it's five steps and then you're like, please give me some air. And so the logical solution does feel like, oh, can I just get more oxygen? Like, can I just, to just keep running? But it is all the inflammation. And I will say that as the inflammation goes down, the air hunger does, does decrease. Um, I mean, and I'm not one to say like the inflammation completely goes down. I, I personally feel like it kind of, you know, spreads to other parts and then goes down from there. But I do think that the air hunger, it's debilitating. Yes. And I think that it's one thing that um, if anyone is listening to this, that is just, you know, like I'm not out of breath, but I'm hungry for air. Yes. It's really, really a good thing to look into is, you know, a Lyme and then B, B the co-infections. Um, and I just wanted to mention a little bit because I know you've mentioned several times, Joe Rogan and the Dr. Rhonda Patrick thing. And I think something that's really interested, interesting, especially related to the chronic illness community, and especially right now with the whole controversy of Joe Rogan himself, he's been around for years. Um, his podcast has been around for years. He's been, you know, touring for years. I've personally seen him live. I listened to, I've listened <laughs> to his podcast for years. But I think something very, very interesting to note right now, especially in the, the you know, the height of this pandemic, and we're, we're seeing it kind of... Uh, apparently, you know, lean down a little bit, but we're still pretty much in the thick of it. And it's very interesting to me how much psychologically people are triggered by the information that he is putting out there, whether you believe that it is accurate or not. 
But what I've been really looking into lately is, is this a trigger? Are these are these people that are listening to this triggered by the fact that Joe Rogan is, is putting out this information or do they have a very dysregulated nervous system that's not able to say, hey, you know what? I'm not into this information. I can pass. And I think especially in the age of social media, it's this really interesting level of is my nervous system healed? Because why am I so triggered by a post or a, a podcast that really has no no effect or could affect me greatly. So I think um, that timing of this whole, this whole Joe Rogan thing happens to be really interesting, especially related to chronic illness. Cause I know that chronic illness tackles the nervous system. And so many people that are, are very, very triggered have a highly, highly dysregulated nervous system. Yeah. So I think oh, yeah. um, just something, something interesting to think about when in, in the times that we're in. Yeah. And I mean that his podcast, I mean, I, I don't really listen to it anymore if I'm being honest, but at the time it was, just, I mean, to this day, it's changed my life, obviously, but at the time it was such incredible information. And I think we can all agree. It's just, it's very raw, raw information. Let me make sure I'm stating clearly <laughs> raw. Um, so because it's so unfiltered, I think it's more helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I can't imagine that it was such an incredible resource for me at that time. So I really can't imagine not having that in my life. I don't, I don't, I mean, that was the catalyst for me being able to f- even attempt <laughs> to help myself. Um, Life-wise. And, yeah. Yeah. So, and again, I, cause I'm not going to go read, you know, a research paper, but if I can have that, you know, secondhand from his podcast and then he also asks incredible questions. So if not, you know, doctor, there's been so many times where he's interviewing, not just her, but say Dr. Rhonda Patrick. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, but I wonder if you can have green tea. And then all of a sudden he's like, now, does that apply if you're drinking tea? And I'm like, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> so for me, I mean, I, I really appreciate the way that he, you know, kind of digs into that, to, to those questions that we, we all would ask, but yeah, it's definitely a different, I know it's a controversial subject, but I'm really grateful for the information that I got early on from that podcast. It's been really helpful. Likewise. And I think that you're, you know, we talked about this in the beginning, but I think that your, um, level of discernment versus intuition and using the two together is going to get, it's gotten you so far. And I think it's only going to get you further. I know obviously right now life looks a lot different than it did a couple of years ago for you. Um, I mean, that is just beyond obvious and you know, there's a lot of beauty. There's also a lot of messiness within that. Um, so I'm curious how you feel going forward, a kind of your functionality of life present time and then how you feel God has kind of placed these gifts in your life to, to kind of further, further either your career or just you as a person, like developmentally wise, I'd just be curious to hear kind of how you want to use, you know, and I don't ever refer to Lyme as a gift, but we do know that, you know, it, it is, it's a, it's a teacher, it's a gift. And I'm just curious kind of how you want to use, use your knowledge, your gift, your wisdom, your beauty um, in the future. Yeah. Well, um, you know, yeah, it's been a, it's pretty, it's been a pretty crazy journey the past two years. Um, like I said, the 2020 and the lockdown and pandemic, obviously being in LA, things were super locked down here. I mean, we couldn't even leave the house at all. 
past a certain hour. I mean, we were locked down. Um, so that was a good time for me to be able to rest, um, and have that time to really understand a little bit more of, you know, my diagnosis and where I'm at, um, and to really go through all my stages of grieving who I was, um, the person I thought I was going to be, um, just all of the changes, you know, because I think a lot of times you get so wrapped up in the quote unquote diagnosis and the treatments and things like that. Um, and you do kind of forget like to give yourself a little bit of grace in what's going on and, and to treat that side of it as well. Um, so I really just had to let go of so many things. And I felt like a massive failure and I felt like I was of no value and, um, it was really hard (laughs) for a long time. And so now I'm in a place where, you know, I, I still, like I said, I suffer from a lot of issues with the Babesia. Um, you know, I have my Walker that sometimes I need to use because I just feel weak and it's almost more of a, it does give a visual to what's going on because, sometimes I just suffer so intensely and, you know, I look, you know, as you say, beautiful on the outside. And it's like, I kind of just need you to know, like, I'm not okay, you know, because I am such a, um, like extrovert type of a person and I'm very friendly. And, um, you know, I try to just like really lead with a foot of kindness. And so if I'm having a day where I just don't have anything else to give, um, I'm out of spoons, if you will. I just, I'm like, I need to have a sign around my neck that just says like, you know, I'm out (laughs) the shop is closed. So sorry. Um, so if I have to go, you know, take my, my little seven pound chewini outside for a walk, I'm like, I'm just going to bring my walker. So like, maybe I can just, (laughs) nobody can bother me. And also if I run out of breath at the end of the blog, I can just sit down for a minute. (laughs) So that's kind of where I'm at now with it. But, um, I definitely have come to a really beautiful place of acceptance with it. So, um, you know, I'm in school of ministry right now, um, with my church. And so I'm really, um, building up just my strength, you know, inside on my heart, my spirit, all of those things. I have an amazing understanding of where my body's at. I have amazing resources like this podcast. And so like I said, even that thing that you posted last night, Margot, I'm just like constantly finding out new information and new ways to take care of myself. Um, at the beginning of this year, I just decided to fully commit to healing. Um, it just took a long time for me to grieve, to understand, and then to kindly to finally come to a stage of acceptance where I was ready to commit to making changes in my life. So, um, you know, I'm blessed to be in a situation where I can work from home and I have, um, I am of value in, in other ways. Um, so I'm actually going back to that place of, of being an artist manager for Philip and his partner and for our businesses. Um, we have an amazing business. Um, we make silicone Cape seals, like, uh, they're like neck strips. So they prevent all the itchy hairs from going down you when you're getting your hair cut. Um, you know, Matt, I don't know, uh, if you ever take care of your beard, but it works for works for beard grooming too. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it's going to work so well for my hair, but considering I don't really have any hair, but maybe my facial hair can come in handy. Yeah, it's good for men's grooming. Um, But there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, So it's just really shifting and realigning and realizing um, where I want to prioritize my energy. 
Um, and then, like I said, I have the rebounder, so it's a mini trampoline and I, I finally, that was a huge success for me. That was a really big victory because I loved exercise before and I was a a huge lover of running. (laughs) And so the fact that I couldn't do that was really depressing. And so, um, I remember when they first told me like, oh, you have Lyme disease. So you're exercise intolerant. And I was like, that's a thing. That's horrible. (laughs) I don't want to be exercise intolerant, especially when I gained 30 pounds from hypothyroid disease. And I have this massive air hunger. And I I remember I bought like a stationary bike and that was horrible. It made me so sick. I could not handle that kind of workout. Um, So to come this far and to see myself on the rebounder for like 10 minutes is like a huge blessing. I'm super, super happy. So I've just found ways. to, you know, work around and work with the situation that I'm in now. And, um, right now my eating, um, I pretty much have a gut protocol. That's kind of a combination of Dr. Rawls and medical medium, which I know is like extremely controversial as well. Um, I have tried some celery juicing. It's very aggressive for me. And that's the journey I'm in right now is trying to understand detoxing better. Um, and something I learned from your podcast, Margo, because I do take, um, BPC, 157 intravenously. And, you know, so as I'm doing all these things to heal my gut, I'm trying to understand more about detoxing and eliminating the toxins because I do suffer from a lot of, um, really bad, like jaundice and rat, you know, I have a lot of rashes and, um, just like uh, on my, uh, my face gets really flush and I have a lot of like rashes on my face and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, just trying to figure it all out. You know, I'm, I, I think, it's always a journey of figuring it out, but I have, um, I would say the peace in, in, in myself to be able to commit to those changes. Cause that's really what it is for me. It's, it's trying to have a comprehensive understanding of, of what's going on. Okay. Now let's move forward and let's try these different things that can heal. So to answer your question, one, I'm on the gut protocol in a sense. Um, so right now I don't eat gluten. I don't eat any dairy. I don't eat any meat. Um, I, <laughs> me and Philip joke because we love the show survivor. We just like started it from season one again. And, um, we just call it the survivor diet. Cause I, br- I basically just only eat rice and fish, <laughs> um, which is awesome because my favorite food is sushi. And I still feel like a normal quote unquote normal person. Cause I can go to a sushi restaurant. Cause at first I was like, I can never go to a restaurant again but now I'm like, I can totally go to sushi like anytime. Um, and then I can have like, um, peas in pods, like edamame and, you know, it's very minimal mushrooms I can have, um, and blueberries. So I have an extremely, extremely limited diet. Um, and that's my number one focus. I do my rebounding. I do stretching. I do prayer. I do meditation. And then I do, I just recently started IV therapy at Holtorf. So, um, we, um, like I said, we started the BPC 157 intravenously just because I felt like I needed a little bit of a heavier hand with that. I need kind of like a stronger punch. Um, and since I have tried it doing injections in my gut, I've tried it orally and I still continue to do it orally, but we're trying out the BPC, um, intravenously to see if that might be a little bit, have a stronger effect. And then I do the glutathiamine, um, IV. And I just started a laser therapy as well. So I'm just trying some IV therapies there. And, um, yeah, I think it's just a combination of 
keeping your spirit strong, keeping your body strong, having a strong support system. So that's kind of where I'm at right now in terms of treating myself for what's going on. And then when I have Babesia flare up, sometimes Dr. Lawford will give me, depending on how bad they are, that's the only time that he'll really treat with like a medication. So it got so bad, um, that I couldn't do anything. (laughs) I couldn't move because I couldn't breathe or my air hunger was so intense. So he had me on, you know, sometimes we'll try ivermectin, um, you know, so we just treat accordingly. And then the only thing that I'm trying to get off of right now is I do use, um, um, oh, sorry. I'm having a brain fog. <laughs> I was doing so good. The whole That's podcast, okay. That's totally um, good. it's the, you know, for anxiety, um, I keep thinking of Prozac and I'm not trying to say Prozac. I'm trying to say, um, Xanax, Xanax. Thank you very much. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. Um, so I do, I do dose with Xanax as needed, which is really to calm my nervous system. Like if I have to leave the house for like extended period of time, or I'm in a situation where, you know, sometimes even if I have my IV treatments and I know like, I'm I'm really not feeling good and my nerves are all over the place. Um, I might take like a a half of a 0.25 milligram of that, um, which is really interesting. I was wondering if you guys had ever heard of this because I haven't seen my psychiatrist in a really long time, but the last time I saw her and we were discussing my Lyme disease, she shared with me that the psychiatric field is starting to recognize Lyme period, but also um, the benefits of treating Lyme with Xanax. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. Well, I think I, so, so my opinion on that is, and it's interesting you bring it up because like Allie Hilfiger, for example, was she, she was led to her Lyme diagnosis after being institutionalized for mental health and being put into a mental institution by her father. And I think a lot of times our nervous system and that fight or flight state is what prevents us from healing and taking steps forward. So you mentioned, you know, you, you gave us a really powerful quote before that you had to have peace to commit, right. To change. And you needed the momentum to move forward to try different things to heal. And I think when you're in a constant state of fight or flight, you're never going to have peace about committing to change because you're yes. overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And I think something like Xanax will help calm you down and maybe give you the peace to move forward and actually try to heal. And it's been my experience in my own journey and also after interviewing 250 people that you are not going to heal if you're in a constant state of fight or flight. You have to address your nervous system. And in my personal experience, I was afraid to try anything because I was so overwhelmed and in fight or flight. And I had to balance my nervous system to be able to then have a clear mind and not have the fear to treat. And I think there's a connection there between those things, if that makes sense, Danny. Does that that answer your question? Yes, it does. And that's kind of my understanding of what my psychiatrist was explaining to me is that there, you know, it's not, it's not a situation where you're like abusing that because Xanax is typically treated or used for X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, you know what, in, in when we're, when you're looking at it in this context, it really has these amazing benefits because of all the things that you just said, Matt. And I appreciate that because she, you know, earlier on, she was giving that to me and I was like, I don't, I don't want it. I really don't want it. I don't like that. I don't want to use it. And eventually she's like, it's okay. Like, why are you, you're, you're, self-inflicting this struggle so intensely. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like I'm not, I, you know, I'm maybe because of my history, like I said, of those things, I had never had Xanax before, but whatever the, that one time or these different things. And it just had this, um, you know, bad connotation to it. And so using it like properly for the things that I needed, it's like, 
you know, okay, well, I was using alcohol and now this is a, a you know, a medical professional supervision <laughs> for using this as a tool as needed. And so it took me a long time to understand that, but that's something that, um, you know, I have come, come a long way though, because there have been times like that where I've driven, you know, I drove to school and, um, I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't take anything. Like I didn't do, I didn't take Xanax. I didn't do anything and I'm feeling okay. And I'm strong and I'm not freaking out. And my nervous system isn't freaking out. I'm not getting sick in my stomach. Like, so I'm starting to notice, um, the benefits of all the good choices that I've been making and all the things that I've been trying, even if it's just, okay, well, let me try to not take the Xanax. Like, let me see if I'm going to be okay. And, um, so that's been really, it, it's just been really good. I have a lot of hope for where I'm at right now. I like that. And I, Matt and I have spoken, I think I spoke on the pod, this spoke on the podcast a bit about this, but you know, there's the whole, whole slew of controversy of you're, you're using benzos and there's always like a, you know, a stigma. And I, exactly. I think that there's a bridge versus a bandaid. And we've kind yes. of spoke about this a bit, but I don't feel like in this case that they are a bandaid. I feel like they're a bridge to calm the nervous system to yes. then engage healing and, and healing Absolutely. cannot happen without sleep. Healing cannot happen without pooping. And I know a lot of people that a small dose of a benzo and they're going to the bathroom because it relaxes the vagal nerve. I mean, so many things. Back to that, there's, I think, a really gnarly stigma of, well, now that's just a Band-Aid and you're just like masking your problems and blah, blah, blah. There's pharmaceuticals and there's ERs and there's there's hospitals for a reason, you know? Right. And that was actually the first time that I was even open to using, um, the Xanax was in my EDMR therapy because she was like, okay, is it okay if I tap you? And I was like, no, I don't want you to touch me. (laughs) I'm a very affectionate, like loving person, but there's just something about, like I said, I need to know what is this? Why is this happening? I need to understand before I can engage. And when, so, so that didn't work out. I was just like, I don't, that's not for me. I can't, I don't even like to do yoga. So I'm not going to sit here and Zen out and let somebody like tap my face. I just can't do it. But when she, the EDMR, I'm like, I made her explain it to me over and over and over. And when you do EMDR for us, I just, um, sit there with my eyes closed for a long time and she just watches me and there's no talking. (laughs) So uh, initially I was like, I cannot do this. I can't even just sit here and be quiet, let alone have someone watching me do it. It was very bizarre. So even in that regard to a tool to healing, it was like taking a little bit of something like that. I wasn't thinking about the fact that she's watching me. This is uncomfortable for me. It's stressing me out, whatever. It was like, okay, now I can actually, you know, I don't take so much to where it affects the treatment that I'm doing, but at the same time, it allows me to get there. Like you said, it's a bridge. So I was really grateful for that. So, and in that regard, it's like, I'm still the one in control. The way that my therapist described it is like, like I'm a comet going through my subconscious and she's just the tail of the comet. So she does have to watch and kind of guide me through this like experience, but I'm always the one that's in control. And if your nervous system is going crazy, then you're out of control in the first place. Does that make sense? So it's like, you kind of have to get that under control to be able to have control. <laughs> I know that's a, that's a long winded way of, of getting to it, but I think you guys understand me. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And I think sometimes in some cases, and I'm not here saying DNRS does not work or any of those neural retraining programs, I think they're great. But I think that in a case like this, sometimes EMDR or something like that can be much more beneficial than kind of the neural retraining DNRS um, type of like Annie Hopper Gupta kind of thing, 
because that can provide some more anxiety, some more stress. Mm -hmm. It's something to do every day. I mean, it's like, you know, you um, unfortunately you have to commit to basically an hour and a half every day. Mm -hmm. So I think something like EMDR is a great, great kind of bridge mitigator, mediator situation type of thing to, um, yeah, to kind of reprogram all of that. I'd love to know in the next in the next kind of couple of years, you know, just visualizing, visualizing yourself healthy, what life would look like. And I typically, um, would be inclined to ask like what you would do for tick prevention or something like that. But I feel like your, your, um, your energy, your, just like your vibe altogether is so, so positive and so moving forward and so not like I'm stuck in this disease. I don't know what to do. Help me, help me, help me. And it's very, very just like move forward, move forward. What can we do next? So I'd love to know just visualizing yourself in maybe two years, what, if you were completely healthy, you know, and, and what, what would you imagine for yourself? Cause I just feel like your life is so, so full. And I know it may not feel like that, that right now, but there's just, there's so much beauty in your journey. Yeah, no, it, it does feel, it does feel very full. And, um, I do feel like I have a little bit of a grasp on it. Like it's not so out of my control. And, um, I am in a, in a place where I can even see the future because it's like, you do get, you get into such a dark place, um, when you're maybe initially going through this journey. And I think maybe people get stuck there for a long time. Maybe I was just really lucky because I had, um, you know, my client who referred me to whole turf and they've really pulled me out of the hole a lot faster or at least towards the light. <laughs> and so I think I, um, when I was thinking about this podcast, I, I realized at first, like, Oh, I'm still in the depths of it. <laughs> when you guys first sent, sent me like the pre-interview questions, I was like, I thought I kind of had already seen my way through, but no, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much in the swing of things right now. This is, this is pretty intense, but now committing, like accepting things and committing to, um, you know, my plan of attack, if you will, for all of this, um, and starting to see some benefits and having some more peace and, you know, finding hope and things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel and I, I might be feeling a little bit of that sunshine even. And so moving forward, um, you know, I have, I just have great hope and I have a lot of excitement for the future. I have, you know, tremendous faith in where God's taking me in this whole journey and why I'm going through all of this. So, um, in one sense, um, yeah, I have grand dreams. Um, Philip and I have always wanted to go to Iceland. That's been one of our big dreams for ever since we met. Um, we both really wanted to go there before we even knew each other. And so that's kind of one of my bucket list things, um, in terms of like my chronic illness bucket list <laughs> is like, um, the day that I feel strong enough, um, you know, to make it that far to travel again, to enjoy it um, to not have to be so fearful of embarking on an adventure like that. Um, I think that'll be a really, um, big milestone in my journey. Um, it's so funny too, because yesterday I was looking at these like ice caves in Iceland and I was like sending him all these pictures, like all these text messages. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Cause we text each other from the other room. We just, we're always busy working and stuff. And he's like, you're supposed to be working. I got up like sending him pictures of, of ice caves. Um, 
but I like to look at that sometimes. I like to have like a tangible picture of the future and of a dream that I would like to achieve, you know, at some point. And I think it'll just mean so much more if I didn't get sick. And if I didn't go through all this struggle and if I just went to Iceland and it's like, I don't think I could grasp just how, you know, how amazing that that time would be and how precious life is. And so, um, in the next, I would like to think that that would happen in the next few years. <laughs> I don't want to wait too long. I really want to go. Um, so yeah, just a simple thing. Like I just, I really want to do that. Um, but in terms of, you know, God, what's, what's the purpose of what's the greater purpose of why I got sick and why my story unfolded the way that it did and led me to the place that I am now. Um, even just like with my career and, you know, being in the entertainment industry and all the people that I meet and, you know, building my Instagram and all these things. It's like, okay, you know, I have a little bit of a captive audience there. And so what do I do next? And I think it really just circles back to what I, um, initially wanted to do with my life, which was, you know, the psychology degree. And so I've actually started looking, um, into going back to school and probably just going online and, you know, working at my BA. And, um, I really would like to pursue that because I think arguably that's the emotional side of like a chronic illness situation is the most important component of it. And I think people never see it that way because when you look at, um, the way that anything medical, anything is treated medically, it is so very clinical. You know, I remember something that happened to me when I was really young and I don't want to get into that, but, um, I went through a, a, a complete reconstruction of my body and it was very clinical. Okay. This is the problem and we're going to do this and here's the surgery and we're doing it. Okay. Let's schedule it. Okay. Let's go. And it's like, I blinked and I woke up and my body looked different and I was a different person and my clothes were different and my style was different. And I'm like, nobody ever told me that all this change was going to happen. And it's like, you just, the train dropped me off at the station and I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know where I'm at. I don't even know where my luggage is. And so I think that component of healing is really, um, you know, a lot of times, like there's plenty of health coaches or nutritionists or, you know, all these different people that want to help you from like the medical side of it, but sort of just more empathetically, just holding your hand and saying, you know what, this is going to suck, or, you know, you're going through this or, you know, here, like, like what you guys are doing on the, on the podcast, it's, it's so important. And I kind of feel like that's where I fall in line. That's just kind of more of what my purpose is, is to really maybe help and guide people through that kind of a thing, because it's really finding the courage to, to be able to accept the changes in yourself inside of any kind of diagnosis or chronic illness or something that you're going through. And like I said, arguably that's the most important part. And where's the support in that? It's really hard to find. Even if I found it like a support group on Facebook or something like that, it was still so dogmatic or these different things. It's like, you know what? I'm still a person. Like I'm a person, I'm a spirit. I have a heart. And like, can you just be my friend and just talk to me and just sometimes just cry with me and just like hold my hand and just be like, yeah, this really sucks. You know, it is something simple like that. It's just so needed and it's so unavailable. And so if I could help anybody else through that in any regard, it could be a physical diagnosis or it can be a broken heart. It could be anything, you know? And so, um, I have started doing some work. Like I said, I go to, um, 
my school of ministry, just to understand how to answer questions better and how to, um, you know, just be equipped to help other people. Um, but I would like to go back to school because I mean, I think, uh, you know, having a little bit of a qualification, I'm sure will be very helpful. Um, but yeah, I would just pray that God can just guide me in that direction to being, to being able to help people that way. And that is what I try to do even just on my Instagram now, like when people reach out to me with DMS and things like that, I don't just say, Oh, here's this book, blah, blah, blah. Oh, take this, you know, protocol. Here's a supplement. I'm like, Hey, like what's going on? You know, how are you feeling? Like, and I just try to have a conversation because I think a lot of times there's just such a lacking there, you know, and I have a really big heart and sometimes it gets me in trouble, but (laughs) I could just try to, I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know, God, let's make something good out of all of this, you know? Yeah, no, you have an absolutely beautiful heart. Um, I'm (laughs) so, so, so glad that we had the privilege of having you on. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us um, on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. This was absolutely beautiful. Your story is beautiful. You are, all the insights that you have are, are beautiful. I think so, 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 I know so, so, so many people are going to get so much benefit out of this. Um, and, and aside from the benefit, I really just want to acknowledge you for your heart, your soul, your, your wisdom. It's beyond, it's beyond years. It really is. Um, so thank you for, for just, yeah, for coming on and for just sharing your story so authentically. Thank you. I wish I could do it a little more eloquently and kind of have it put together. Cause I know I kind of go on and on about a lot of things, but I mean, it's an emotional disease. What can I say? <laughs> it's really intense. So sometimes if you go off the rails a little bit, it's like, eh, it's part of the fun. What can I say? You gotta, gotta find joy in it somehow. <laughs> so I hope I did, you know, my interview, you know, I appreciate this. It's an honor. I hope you did, I did a little bit of justice here with whatever you guys were looking for. And I just, I just wish I could give you guys a hug. I'm so, so grateful for what you guys are doing, um, just for the whole line community, but just for humans as a whole and all of the help that we need in the world. It's, it's a crazy time, you know, and sometimes you just feel like, man, this fight, I just, it's too hard, but then you hear these stories and you have encouragement and, you know, you have hope. And so that's what I thank you for. (laughs) Yeah. And you're not alone. And I think like, that's one of the most important things on this journey is just like reminding, reminding my, you know, even myself, Matt, like, I'm sure you've reminded yourself plenty of times, like we're not, we're not alone. We're in it together. And that's how I'm meant to be alive. And Danny, I just need to tell you that you told your story beautifully. You told it very well. And I think you're being, I know you're being hard on yourself because you told the story brilliantly. And I, I'm, I'm reminded of so many lessons I needed this week in my own health journey. So thank mm-hmm. you for already helping me in my journey and all the countless people we know you're going to help on this Tick Bootcamp podcast. So Danny, thank you again. We're blessed to have met you and we're blessed to have had you in this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp podcast and our interview with Danny Tiger. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Danny, please visit her Instagram at Danny Tiger. Second, if you enjoyed this podcast episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends and on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note we appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us for the future. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode update for our Tick Bootcamp podcast.
And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments and your past podcast episodes, as well as continuing to listen to the podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any social media, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you share with us. Thank you for listening.